Potterfic Weekly. For Friday, April 17th, 2009, this is episode 74 of Potterfic Weekly. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. to the wonder of that world through many pens and we'll never let go of all the ones we've made our friends and they'll say it's only a podcast but we know it's much more than that a community all of its own Where we even have our own sorting hat Where the hosts are all our friends And the stories told by Jen We'll always laugh before the end Part of it we please where the story never ends. Mm-hmm. And welcome back to Parfic Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm P.S. Mike. Cody. Melinda. Why are you all talking like Mike? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell happened? Okay, we're doing this again. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to Parfic Weekly. This is Ryan. I am P.S. Mike. Oh. I am Cody. Hi, I'm Melinda. You know what? We've done that. I feel wrong not saluting you. We've talked about it before, though. You can say I am Mike while you're saluting me. It's It's the same military. uh, This is Michael reporting for duty. Okay, good. Because what I think we really need as a nation is to have Mike serve in the armed forces. Because we would defeat the terrorists in like a weekend. It would be awesome. All right. This is our second podcast on Backward with Purpose by, I know the author's name is Ella. Is it possible for a screening is Deadwood? Or Deadwood Pecker. Okay, what is that? Deadwood Pecker. I only see Deadwood Pecker. Where is she, the other? Yeah, I thought she was Deadwood Pecker. I don't know. I just heard it at Alley. Like when we first were choosing it on the podcast, it was listed as. Yeah, on the poll, it says something else. She yeah, on name. the poll, it said Alien of Tortel. So that's, I just mentioned that. Everyone, I, I started reading it on Psy, and I think it was under another name there, too. She's, she's Ella on Psy. <laughs> We're sure she actually wrote it, though, right? This is like one of those things where, like, Melinda writes a story, and someone thought it was good, and they changed the name. We're J.K. Rowling. And, all right, we're sure? We're, we're sure. Maybe Melinda so. wrote it. Right, and well, we have no way to check this. No, right? I'm not creative. <laughs> all right, we're going to have someone on the podcast, hopefully for an interview in a few weeks. God knows if they wrote it, but we're working on it. I'm going with Ella. You want to refer to her as the dead woodpecker? Oh, yeah, Dude, dead woodpecker. Well, it's like we had Viridian, and he was also Satarkin, and he was also <laughs> someone who wrote an AU story about restarting the canon, so <laughs> what's up with that? All right, now, I, I wasn't... I was bad that on some websites, my, my the won't fit. My the won't fit on Psy. Well, I'm that... kind of like any ver- variation of Slytherin Phoenix, Slith Phoenix, and I have to add 116, depending on if I've been on that site before, but I'm generally pretty consistent, and I think that Plaid Slytherin and the Plaid Slytherin are pretty interchangeable as far as that goes. I always wanted to change, but when I first did it, I just quickly did, you know, what my email was, and then after I was like, oh, I wish I was more creative coming up with this, but because I'd already started writing, I was like, well, I can't change my name now, but obviously I could have. Melinda, what would your name be? I'm Hungarian, so... 
I'm not Hungarian Horntail, but I'd, I'd figure out how to work Hungarian in there somewhere. <laughs> Could you imagine if it was the seventh Horcrux by the Hungarian Horntail? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. Like, I, I have no idea what I'd change my name to if I haven't. Like, this was my only good idea. I have one creative internet name in me for life. I'm, I'm it definitely wouldn't Huggles, be Ginny Potter or anything with Ginny in it. There's too many of those. Yeah. Oh, can I just tell you all, because I just think this is amusing. <laughs> I was friended on Facebook by, it's an old friend from junior high sister friended me on Facebook. And you know that thing everyone's doing on Facebook, 25 notes about you, 25 fun facts? Yeah, I'm reading hers, and number 14 on the list was, hang on, I'm going to read it to you, because I just want to show you all there is such a thing as recruitment, because I always thought she was a little odd. <laughs> well, he's finding oh, it like that on the cover of the British edition of the first book, it looks like Harry's about to get run down by the train. That's so sad. <laughs> Like, he's standing on the tracks, and he has this expression on his face that's like, oh, no! Number 14 on her list was, I've read all of the Harry Potter books more times than is probably healthy. I'm a little bit devastated that there aren't going to be any more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ryan, recruit her right on over. I sent her some... Well, I wanted her to find the podcast, because quite frankly... Well, she's give me points for doing that. Well, I sent her links to your stories after the end. Naked Quidditch match. That one may confuse her if she just sees... <laughs> link right away and a shoebox project so i love the reactions of people who don't get fan fiction when they first discover it they're hysterical well i was in a sender the lavender brown series and i'm like oh my god <laughs> we don't want to start around like i tried to explain it to my mom and like i had explained the podcast first so she like thought i knew all these people like she thought like she like thinks that like each one of you has written the stories that we are discussing or something. I don't know what you think. <laughs> well, All right, Melinda so I have kind of like a fun, just kind of going along with the Facebook story. There was uh-huh. someone I knew. She was my best friend when I was about mm, six years old. And then I moved away and I haven't spoken to her in 10 years. And I randomly found her on Facebook because she still has friends with some of the people I know. Uh-huh. And I'm looking at kind of, you know, because, you know, you look at people's info and see what their favorite movies are. Her favorite movies are... Beef Vendetta, which is my one, one of my favorite movies. She listens to Wizard Rock. She is into Harry Potter, and she's going to LeakyCon. And we didn't even like hadn't even read Harry Potter, but when I when I knew her, and it's all the people so I knew when I was six years old, I found her goth now. So that's a success. <laughs> but it's just so strange yeah. that like we went on these like parallel paths, but we haven't talked to each other in like ten years. Oh yeah, I I, re- I had that happen. I there was somebody I hadn't talked to in years, and I found out when I ran into her again. She was reading Shoebox. Oh wow. Oh wow. Uh, Melinda, you didn't want. To join facebook how's that going that's so cool i've been on there i've been posted a few days ago well how's that going because you you hated the idea of facebook to the one i think it takes up time which is what i knew it would do but it, it's good it's good i actually got a friend request from my cousin who i've been looking everywhere for because she just sort of disappeared off the face of the earth and so i finally hooked back up with her through facebook of all things which was a pretty See, good thing ryan apocryphic weekly bringing people together my aunt added me on facebook so now everything i post i'm like trying to judge if my aunt will see it and like, Mike, you can friend sad. me because I honestly don't know how to friend anyone. I don't either, <laughs> Brian though. showed me how to set it up at the beginning, and then I, I was half the things I can't figure out, and I was like, uh, whatever. Well, since I don't know how to do that either, we will remain separated. <laughs> I'll try to figure it out. We're doing chapters, what are we doing? We're doing 16 through 24 of Backwards with Purpose by that dead woodpecker woman, whatever the hell her name is. I wasn't in the first podcast, so I just wanted to review for a few minutes here. You can tell how a story is probably going to be received in the podcast because when we put it up on the schedule and we let people sign up to host and guest host, if you're having to bribe people to come on the podcast, it usually means it has a very small, very devoted group of fans. This story, we have waiting lists for people to come on the podcast, because so, so that was a good sign. 
So I get chapter one of the story, and I had like a half an hour before I was going to go to bed, so I'm like, I'll just polish off chapter one, see what it's like. And I have to tell you, I really, really, really didn't like chapter one. It was probably my least favorite chapter that we've covered on Pyrific Weekly. Me too. But it wasn't a good sign. I, I, and I, um, a few days had gone by, and I sat down to read them again, so I actually took it from the beginning, and I reread chapter one again. And I enjoyed it more on the second read-through, because I kind of knew where it was going. But obviously I was drawing comparisons to uh, Nightmare of Futures Past by Viridian. And it's actually interesting because I don't know this, but it almost seems as though Ella has read that fic and was actually trying to do different things with it because it doesn't tread over the same ground. There's obvious differences between Nightmare and between uh, Backward with Purpose. Although, when I read the first chapter, I was concerned because it seemed like the characterization was just weird. For example, in um, Nightmare Features Past, like, pretend it's the same Dumbledore for a minute. I know two different authors, two different visions, but just assume it's, like, alternate universes for a second. The Dumbledore in Nightmare Features Past, when Harry was, like, the only wizard left, or when there was, like, you know, a handful of survivors, Harry says, I'm going back in time to change things, and Dumbledore's portrait is like, no, you must not! Things are fine! Look at tree! It's regrowing from the ashes! Water it! And Harry's like, no, you bastard! I will go anyway, whether you help me or not. And Dumbledore's like, I can't do anything to stop you. I'm furniture. <laughs> so he goes back in time and the story begins. In this story, Flitwick is alive and he's short and he has books and Seamus has a good arm left. And the other one's unfortunately missing. But the other, he's, he can walk. Ginny's alive. Ginny's alive and Hagrid's alive and they still have the house and Creature is Alice Brady with an apron on and Ron is a little angry, but he can get over that. And they go out to Hogsmeade and there's people skipping. There's skipping going on, people. Like it's it's bad for th- it's bad for them, but for everyone else, you know, I know sixty percent of the people died or whatever, forty percent of the people died, but there, there are people left. It's not like Battlestar Galactica. There's actually you can reproduce oh, without it being yeah. icky. Your DNA is compatible with ours, meaning we can breed with them. You got a one track mind, Doc. They go to Hogwarts and Hagrid's there. Hagrid lived. He always dies. Melinda never kills him, but everyone else does. So they go to Hogwarts, and they and they meet one-armed Seamus, and they go up to Flitwick's office, and apparently Warwick Davis was only available for a few seconds of shooting, because he let them in, and he ran. So they go to talk to Dumbledore's portrait, and he's like, I want to go back in time. Dumbledore's portrait's like, I am so proud of you. Come here. And he, and he thinks it's a wonderful <laughs> idea. I'm like, no! You don't go... It's a bad <laughs> idea. Time for you to continue. No! Like, have you never watched Star Trek? I believe I'm in love with Edith Keeler. Jim, Edith Keeler must die. Edith Keeler must die. Back to the future. So that was the I image was, of like they're like in portrait TV for all the portraits, and they can like switch between all the cable channels. And they're watching like one episode of Star Trek. I don't know, but it, the characterization of Dumbledore right there just seemed very peculiar. And know that was too. It was the style of writing in that first chapter. Just it, on the second read through, I can see exactly what she was trying to do. And there were some know that was there were really 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 good moments in there with really really awkward moments. And I was just I, I was drawn like a magnet to the awkward moments. Like for example, when Dumbledore says things may be different this time like the prophecy may change 
I'm like, okay, that seems like that was duct taped in there. It didn't seem to flow from the conversation. It seemed like there were actually author's notes like in the chat. Like, but beware, the prophecy will be different. <laughs> Even like the line of dialogue to to clue Dumbledore in, it was just very awkward. Then there was like the four year shift, which was awkward. so it, it felt patched together. So I, I wasn't Speaking feeling. Which I have to ask, am I the only one who felt extremely awkward every time I read them going always and always? I love that. I okay. loved it That's- too, Melinda Leo. <laughs> I didn't think she was here. <laughs> Melinda uh, Leo. For college, apparently. Hold on. Listen, always Hold. made me tear up almost every time. I, I winced every time I read that. I have to be honest. I love the fic, by the way. It's, one of my, it's become one of my favorites like overnight. But uh, that one line makes me wince every time I read it. They, they definitely needed a therapist back in chapter one. And you, you can see just how broken these characters are. They literally have nothing left. The world still exists around them. And you can tell there's a lot of despair around them. But there's enough people left to have made the victory worth it but for this group of people there's no one left so all they have is each other and always and always represents that it represents the reason they're going back the relationships they're going to try and reforge um so i did like that i mean you you can have a little bit of 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 sap in every every good story and i think that was it wasn't overdone so i did like that though speaking of what you just said I have to that that thought kind of did flash flash through my head the sense that um is this really as opposed to uh, other you know going back in past stories do they need to do this or is this almost not, not, I don't want to say selfish reasons, but like I personal... said selfish last week, Mike. You yeah, I think selfish. it is. I think it's selfish, but I mean, I think it's um, it's selfish on a global level, but I think on a personal level, it isn't to a degree. I mean, on one hand, they're putting themselves through this again, and it, they they need to do it because they want to save their friends because they feel either guilty or they just want them back. On a global level, I think it is selfish because they always are going to risk that the you know big evil of the world isn't going to be defeated, which would probably be. Bad for the world, but I mean, it is selfish, but I don't see it as like an individually selfish act. Well, it is selfish in that for every person they try and save, they risk someone else who doesn't have any say in the matter. So, for example, if they go back in time... Yeah, if they go back in time and and Seamus dies, Seamus wasn't supposed to die. So they're sacrificing Seamus to save Molly, and Seamus wasn't asked if he wanted that. Better example, say Neville and Hannah lived... And, and, and Luna died, and they go back in time and save Luna. So now, in, in the new timeline, Neville will marry Luna. You're destroying Neville and Hannah's relationship, because now it didn't happen that way. So maybe if they had children, those children now would never be born, but maybe different children would. You're really playing God. And one of the things that made it nice and easy in Nightmare of Future's Past was there was literally no one left. There was like a handful of survivors. So really... There's not a lot to say. There's not a lot that you can risk. In this story, I think it's much more complicated, and it's probably better drama because there is more to risk because you're actually undoing things. Now, if you could ask you know, Seamus with one arm and, and Flitwick and all these people about the loss of the, the flower of a generation, would you want us to go back in time? They may say yes, but they were never asked. And that's, I think, where you can tag it as being selfish. Yeah, they were selfish, but it doesn't make them bad people, I don't think. And I think it's just, it makes them much more complex and interesting because you see what people are willing to give up for people that are really close to them in their lives. Yeah. And it's okay. almost I've on a level I've been talking along with you this whole time, and I just realized my microphone. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. I did that last week, and I actually was calling everyone bastards because, <laughs> like, why is no one talking to me? No, I, um, I keep getting talked over, and I was like, what? And then it's like, oh, okay. The mute's still on. Okay, sorry, go ahead. But yes, I definitely agree with you about the whole 
whole the whole uh, the guilt thing. Whose side are you on? Are, are, do you think it was selfish or no? Whose side I were you on? I think it was selfish. It was definitely selfish. I can understand why they did it, but I would right. have liked to have seen a little more guilt out of Harry, who feels guilty about everything, simply because. There is just people who who may have survived the last time that he is is just kind of throwing that away. I think that almost he doesn't feel as much of a responsibility to the world at large anymore. I think it's almost, I mean, I'm not saying this is right, but I think that from my reading of the character, he's like, I've done this once. I sort of lived my life to fulfill this. I mean, I hate saying for the greater good with that context, but I've helped defeat evil and I've helped bring peace to the world. And now I'm going to really try to make sure that happens again. But now I'm going to do something for me and try to get these people that have pretty much been the rocks of my life back into it. And I think that it is selfish, but I think that after all he's gone through to pretty much save the lives of a lot of people in the Wizarding World, I think that he can have time to be selfish. And I'm not saying that it's necessarily the absolute right thing to do, but I sympathize with it and I can see him doing it because I see him getting to a point where there's a level of how much people mean to him. And I think he's gone through feeling indebted to the rest of the world. And I think now he's focused all of that onto just the people who he cares most about. I think to my eyes, part of the problem is there's a lack of sort of forethought on their parts, like thinking this through a little bit before they jump into it. I know that they spend all that time researching it, but they don't seem to actually think about the possible consequences. I think Harry's problem is he assumes that he's going to go in and like in three days destroy all the Horcruxes and it'll be like happily ever after before he hits his second year, pretty much. There's been like no bumps along the road almost is what I think his problem. And it, and by lack of forethought, like I'm, I'm thinking as I read this, well, what happens if Ginny dies? Like how's Harry going to feel yeah. if he goes back in time and he gets Ginny killed, and it's kind of like, then he's any like worse off than he was to begin with. I think that everyone thinks that, not without really thinking about it, but, you know, like, oh, if I could go back and change this, I could do it. And, you know, if I could only get one more chance, you think that you could be able to shape events. Whether that, I mean, I'm pretty sure that's a, a wrong misconception, but I think that's what a lot of people think, like, if they have the ability to go back into the past. Well, like, the one of the things that we talked about a lot during the Nightmare series was, in that story, it was Harry went back by himself. So you have, you know, 11-year-old Harry, who's really, like, 30, and an 11-year-old Bobby and he meets Ginny Weasley, who's 10. So you have a 30-year-old who is in love with someone who, in this timeline, is 10 years old, and we had the whole bagel discussion and all that stuff. But what that really does show is, at what point are you manipulating someone, and at what point are you allowing events to flow naturally? So if I you know, meet Danielle five years ago, we fall in love, we're getting married, and then 10 years from now, if I go back in time and, and re-meet her... At what point am I being myself naturally and allowing her to fall in love with me versus at what point am I manipulating her so she will fall in love with me? Because it's you can't be spontaneous the second time around. You know what's going to happen. So how do you not say the funny thing that got her to fall in love with you? And how do you say the stupid thing that really offended her that caused a fight that led to the relationship? I mean, it gets really, really hard. And I think one of the best things about this story, and I really, really like the plot line with uh, the Weasleys. Mm. And one of the reasons is there are some plot reasons. There is the whole thing with the change prophecy and there is the entire thing with the newspaper article. And there's, you know, based on that, every event that happens in the story pushes them a little bit further away from Harry. I really like that. Interplay with the Weasleys was the most interesting part of the whole thing, of how it didn't work the same this time, but there were still parts of that that bugged the heck out of me. Well, what I did like about it was that they, the last time they 
loved Harry. They loved him because they met this you know little eleven year old boy on the train platform. They're just good people, and they kind of adopted him and they brought him home. And he's always polite and always helps with the dishes, and everyone abuses him. And he's good to their kids, and and they just love him. And I, it's really heartbreaking because you see through flashbacks all of the great scenes with Molly telling Harry she's proud of him and she knows he can do it, and Mister Weasley and the and the and the garage and all the and all those great moments. When he goes back here, little things change that. And they start out distrusting him because of plot reasons. So when they distrust him, every, you know the fact that he seems older than his years and, and he, like his eyes are soulless and he's just a, a, a harder, meaner person because he's seen death. So they think, okay, we shouldn't trust him. So let's keep our kids away from him. And then everything that he does just seems a little bit weirder. And it really does reaffirm the fact that you can't go home again. You can't just go back and expect things to work out the way they do. And yeah, like Mike said, what if you go back and all of a sudden the person you fell in love with doesn't like you this time? Or what if the family that you had is offended by you this time. One of the things that can drive me crazy in stories like these is the characters are viewed almost as dispensable. So if, you know, for example, and the the, who, the character who does come across a little bit is dispensable in this story is Hermione because it's yeah. just assumed that she'll fall in love with Ron again and, you know, he's not really putting in an effort, I think, into, you know, showing... It's telling, not showing. I just feel like it's kind of assumed that Hermione will fall in love with Ron again. It, it's kind of in, on the back burner and we're not seeing it, which is fine, but it just... The, it's the a, trio's a, not... Ron, Hermione, Harry, and this one, which I think is it's, yeah. it's, it's, yeah, the like trio's Ginny's replaced Ron, Hermione and Ginny, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, th- and that the was thing like- about that with the Weasleys that 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 didn't quite play right with me because I can understand how Harry would seem harder, but why didn't they pick up on Ron and Ginny? And I could see even how Ron that they would blame it on Harry because they were away at school, but Ginny was home with them alone for an entire yeah. year. Well, they why do didn't pick they up notice any they, differences? Yeah, they in do Harry? though. The thing with Ginny is when she was with them at home with just her parents, she was spending all her time with them. Like, she was hanging around with them, helping them and stuff. Because, obviously, she but had she's seen really them in- But they do a, notice, a, Melinda. 20-something-year-old woman living in a 10-year-old little girl. Little things that 10-year-olds have to do are, are, are going to great, even if she's just so happy to have the parents back. There's going to be things that are noticed. That, that But you can argue, too, I mean, your first reaction isn't going to be, like we talked about during the Nightmares podcast, your first reaction isn't going to be, oh, my God, she's a time traveler. Your first reaction is going to oh. be she's crying because she's upset that her brother left, and she's acting weird because of the separation with her family. And She's Molly, nervous about yeah. when she goes to school next year. Right. Whatever. And well, Molly Weasley, actually, yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. But I, I have to disagree with that. I have to disagree with you, Melinda, and say they do notice with both. Oh, she did. Jenny she does do weird things. Ron. She set the table on fire or something. She did. <laughs> yes, she did. She did yeah. blow up the kitchen. Fire! The reason they invite Luna over, like the reason Luna's going to the borough, is because they think she needs a friend because she's so lonely. I, I think the differences between Harry and with Ron and Ginny, and, and these differences is that they, Ron and Ginny, are already their kids. So when their kids act different, their reaction is to sort of bring them closer, protect them more, sort of circle them. And Harry starts off as an outsider, and that's the difference. I also think Ginny's a better actress. <laughs> the, the thing I really just want to start off with here, you know, from my reading of all the chapters, I'm up into the 30s, but I won't comment beyond 24. The, the thing which I really like is that the Weasleys, they're not born with chips in their head to always love Harry Potter. Things can change. And if things change, God knows what's going to happen. It's dangerous to go back in time because you may lose everything. Because maybe that one moment that you never realized 
led to something great between two people. And if you don't repeat it exactly as it happened before, the, the change in the wind can, it can throw off your entire life. And what it really does affirm is that even though the Weasleys died at Hogwarts and Harry went back in time, the people he knew still died. Molly Weasley, who always thought of him as a son, died at Hogwarts. Molly Weasley is alive again in this alternate universe, but she's not the same person. Neither's Arthur. Neither's Percy. And he, he, we like this Percy a lot more. And the, the the one character who just doesn't work for me too well, and maybe she will going forward, is Hermione. Because yeah. it does seem like the same Hermione was just reborn, and there's no real difference, and she's the same loyal friend who is in love yeah. with Ron. And there is that little bagel component with Ron and Hermione, yeah. but it's, it's, in the ba- yeah. it's in the background. I'm not really sure if there's an answer to this. I'm just kind of curious what you guys think. Do you think that they went back to create the people they missed because they missed their presence within their own lives? Or do you think they went back because they felt bad that those people had died and they wanted to let those people live again regardless of those people's influence in our lives. You know what I mean? Like, okay, say it's like my mom or something. And do I say I want to save my mom because I want her to be the presence in my life that she was before? Or do I, am I saying I want to save my mom because she's my mother and I want her to live? I don't think right, they thought that far into it. I don't think it occurred to them no, really I mean, that like, they were going to be different like, people. I guess. No, but I mean, like, if you're no, I fact, but did they think it's because, because they want somebody? them to live? Because that's what always and always is. It, see, I mean, he's upset that the Weasleys don't love him, but he still loves them and he still yeah. is going to write them off. Once, I think it's and like he, he wants he them comes to live, not that he wants them in the, his life, I don't think. It, it, he he keeps calling them not his Weasleys for a long time, not his Weasleys, but... Hey, don't just, tell me that. Shut, shut up, up Wesley. Wesley. On Cody's question, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. If I had... You know, my father died of cancer, but if he got hit by a dump truck, I mean, I could go back in time and prevent him from being hit by the dump truck. I would want both his presence in my life all these years, and I would want, you know, just him to be able to live. I mean, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. But I do think that, going back to something Mike said earlier, they did have a lot of time to plan this, and I think they planned really well when to get the horcruxes and who to tell when, and, you know, I think they had, like, a giant chart on how they were going (laughs) to do this whole thing. But I don't think they ever believed for a second that Molly Weasley wouldn't love Harry. And I think Ron feared that Hermione wouldn't love him, but and that didn't happen. She did. But I don't think they really believed what if what if Hermione isn't our friend. And, uh, you know, they almost ended up in Slytherin. I thought it would be like, it'd be like yeah. a, they shook hands, you know, <laughs> AU with I my... Was, I, was also, I was afraid they were going to get separated or something. You know, like, not so much yeah. that they were, if they were in Slytherin, but if they were separated. Yeah. I mean, so I, so just, well, let's start moving into the chapters, but that, the, the fact that, aside from Hermione, all of the characters do seem like different versions of their earlier selves is a very good thing, and it's, and I, and I do believe you can make rationalizations for the Weasleys, but I think the fact that they are on the outs with Harry is a very, it's a fascinating thing to read because, like Melinda said, they're not his Weasleys. His Weasleys yeah. died, but they're the Weasleys, and it's it's almost like um there was the last Star Trek movie, awful movie, but the last Star Trek movie, the plot line was what if Captain Picard, you know, the hero, was cloned thirty years ago and lived in like an 
in an alien prison camp, and he became this Nazi-like bastard. And it's a nature versus nurture thing. You know, what if things have happened a little bit differently? Is it possible our Molly Weasley could have not loved Harry if a couple things had changed? Maybe. I mean, it's scary, and it, it, I think it's it's very relevant. And there's I, I have a lot to say about that, but we'll hit that up uh, the, next week. The one thing that they did that, that really bugged me the most was at the borough when they kick Harry out. I love the scene because it was so powerful and intense. I can believe they'd be furious. I can go along with why they'd be furious and everything, but I can't believe they would have just kicked him out that way. Get Albus on the flu. I'm sending him back now. Whatever. But I can't believe that they would. He was still a 13-year-old kid as far as they knew with, with obviously nowhere to go. I don't think they have in their mind that he's a 13-year-old kid. This is Molly Weasley who believes everything she reads in The Prophet and which weekly she thinks he's a dark wizard raping their daughter. Absolutely. And I'll give you that. But Molly Weasley even though she believes everything in the prophet, it doesn't take much to convince her back the other way. In Goblet of Fire, when she believed it about Hermione, all it took was the kids and Harry saying, no, she's not my that. girlfriend. This you is know, bigger, I mean, and I'll give you that. And and she'd be freaked out. I, guarantee, I, I believe that she'd be freaked out by it. But she's still Molly Weasley, and the idea of throwing a kid out just well, didn't yeah. work with me. To the flu and almost, say, Albus, I want him out of here. Get him out of my But house. here's the thing, though. Back. But she still would have handed him off. I, In I, most I, fan fiction, though, Molly Weasley, she chats with Dumbledore on her cell phone when she's at the grocery store. Like, they're, they're tight. In this fic, you get the sense that she's not a member of the Order, and when she wants to go to Dumbledore's office, it's almost like, thank you for meeting with me, Headmaster. Like, later on in the story, not to spoil, but, you know, that they do interact right. later on. I don't get the sense that Dumbledore's really even part of this equation with the Weasleys. I get the sense that Harry's the orphan kid who wants to stay over at his friend's house, and like Dumbledore's not his quote-unquote guardian. So I could see her booting him out. I could see her calling somebody, maybe Dumbledore, maybe someone else after saying even Harry just nervous. left. Some, I just... Uh, I guess I didn't have a problem with it, because I, I see what you're saying, and I think she might have, like, afterwards be like, oh... She had to. I, I well, she had probably, to because Dumbledore is calling for Harry like yeah. later in the day, so someone I, had to have called Dumbledore. So I, I, I can see her going, wishing she did that, or like thinking I should have done that after. But I think it's double. Like I, I think that's probably what she was heading towards to do when she heard them talking about killing Lockhart. So she just gets done hearing him about the, you know her, him and their son having a conversation about murdering someone or like permanently spell damaging them, and then she walks in and sees him, you know, getting naked with her daughter. I think it's just like one, two, like. No, I just want this person out of here as fast as I can. There, look what well, you know—he's raping my daughter, and he's telling, teaching my son to kill people. Get him out of here! Like, well, I don't know. Things. I mean, I just thought the like I'm going to kill him thing was a little bit ridiculous. I mean, I used to think like you know I'm going to you know I'm so mad at them. I'm going to you know I'm going to kill them. But you know you don't actually mean it. I mean, I guess well, the joke about yeah. That- by- the joke about the story was, if you do a search on these chapters for the word frown, in every scene that Harry is doing anything that can be misconstrued, Molly is standing at the door, frowning at him. And she, like, overhears, like, like he's touching himself in the shower. He turns around, Molly's frowning at the door. Like, he's frowning during the entire... That would be awkward. Yeah, and it's, it's, you know what? It's like the kid can't catch a break. And one thing I said, Melinda and I were emailing when I was first reading this. And I, one thing I said was, you know, in all the fix that you personally write, Melinda, every time Draco Malfoy's in the house, you know, Grimmel Place when they're locked in together, as long as Draco does the dishes, Molly is very pleasant to him. So it did seem awkward that, you know, even though Harry is the one with the terrible power, and even though there was that unfortunate moment where he's touching her daughter, well, before that, you know, it did seem awkward that she didn't send him Weasley Swather, or that Arthur was very rude to him out in the shed. That was the saddest scene. Yeah, that, that was very sad. Me. Like, that sad. broke my heart more than any yeah. other scene in this story when Arthur turned him away. 
Oh, I had to walk away from the computer. It was Me horrible. Too. It wasn't unreasonable. And no. the fact that it wasn't unreasonable, I mean, here's the thing. We all sit here on this podcast and we're all friends with each other because we all met each other through very random occurrences. Think about your own lives. Think about your significant others or your friends. If one tiny thing hadn't happened the way it would have, would you be where you are right now? And you even reach a point where in Harry's original life, he was very natural with the Weasleys. They loved him because he was Harry and they wanted to work with him because he was good and he didn't need to try. They just loved him. Imagine you went back in time and you, like Melinda, you went back in time to the to the time you met Leo and maybe there was something that happened the first time you met Leo and that's when he kind of fell for you. What if you missed that moment and he doesn't fall for you at that moment. So then you try really hard to strike up a connection with him now because now you're worried. And now you're that really strange girl who's stalking <laughs> him at the mall. You know what I mean? So then it becomes, it, it snowballs out of control and all yeah. of a sudden you've lost the situation. I mean, I, I think that's really good. And I do like that this isn't complete whack jobness. Th- there are characters here, you know, Neville and Luna. There's characters here who were just very good people who don't, they won't believe it. They don't want to hear it. They are Harry's friend, true and true. And he would never do the things they say he did. And there are people who learn the, like in these early chapters, you have um, Remus and you have Sirius learn Harry's secret. Even before they learned his secret, they loved him. They were disappointed in him because they thought he was touching small children. Uh, Incoming. They, no, they were, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. They're they're 12 years old. That's, that's, 12 that's years that drove old. me yeah. nuts. The whole taking advantage of this yeah. youngster. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're not even even, what, a week more than a year apart. The, the, the difference between Harry and Hermione is... Well, they were six... They were in... Exactly. What's the comparison? They were in sixth grade. They were, no, they were like eighth and seventh grade. Right, which is fine. They were still, still inappropriate. inappropriate. I'll absolutely give you inappropriate. But it wasn't like it was like an 18-year-old and a 12-year-old. That would be yeah, that, that, that was overdone, I thought. That, yeah. that it was... The, the age difference thing was really none... I, to be honest, when I read through it, I didn't even pick up on the age difference. I just I didn't, I didn't up on the pick fact. up that they were upset because of the age difference. I thought they were just upset that they were. Oh, I don't think it was because of Ginny's age in general. Yeah, the age, right. which is okay, but they kept saying to take an advantage of it, and that that it, it they made it seem like he was much older than much than, older than a year right. older than her. Her. The way I took it, honestly, is, you know, in every class or in every grade, there's kids who are all the same age, but there's the one kid who seems older than his years, almost. And I took it that even though they're virtually the same age, that Harry is the, is the celebrity. He's the one that I read about in the paper. He's a really dark kid. He's a really serious, strange kid. And he's touching my little girl. And I just took it from that. I didn't think that she thought he was, you know, much older. Like you guys just said, I didn't think he thought he was like, you know, a 20 year old. But it wasn't just Molly that did that. That We got it from McGonagall and it, 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 I picked it up in a lot of different places that it's like, what is the deal with this? That they're really the same age kids. I know, but celebrity does change that though. Don't you think? I mean, think of the Harry Potter actors. Dan Radcliffe is what, like 19, 20 years old. And he, when when you read, well, the kid sounds like a thirty two year old stockbroker, but you do get the sense when someone's a celebrity that they they have this like presence that's greater than themselves. So they actually do seem older, and they do seem like whenever you think of celebrities, you think of someone who has the sense of entitlement almost. So you, I didn't have trouble believing. I tried to put myself in their mindset. I didn't have trouble believing that they would see Harry as you know someone who doesn't appreciate the fact that she's you know a little girl, and you see all the time through canon that they, they think of Ginny as their little girl who's younger than she actually is so 
I was okay with that. I I do think it was inappropriate. And then, you know, when you go back to Hogwarts, you have the twins tell everybody that Harry Potter took advantage of Ginny Weasley, and that's all you hear. So everyone kind of turns their back on Harry Potter, and I don't know. But I do agree with something Cody said earlier. I thought the thing with um, Lockhart was unfortunate when they were planning to kill him and she was listening in. Because at I, that point, anything like, I mean, they come said. Come on, you're a 13-year-old, and you're saying, oh, I hate my teacher, I'm going to kill him. Like, every 13-year-old I know has said that and they haven't been like taken to a psychiatrist or most of them you know like, yeah they were yeah <laughs> harry doesn't want a second Ron helping of so chicken serious, molly so the thing is yeah. ron was like literally we have to kill him and harry was says let's like no we can't i mean it was not oh i hate him i'm gonna kill him ron really was suggesting that the three of them go kill lockhart yeah, my sense, too, was, like, you see that also in there in the courtroom. And Mr. Weasley, I think it's the same sort of comment that Mr. Weasley made, that, yes, if you say, oh, they make the comment about implying Ron and Harry are having sex, and, yes, they should be angry, but it's not that Harry was angry. It was the sense that he gets just, like, you know, nothing you can pinpoint and say for sure, but his sense looking at them that Harry was, was like, really going to kill them and had to, like, control himself and rein himself in from the killing rage. That's, like, like I think it's more that, you know, something about them, their eyes, their demeanor, when you hear mm-hmm. them say that, that it's believable in a way it isn't for your average 12-year-old. And that's true, too. Like, Harry and Ron were discussing where to bury the body, so I can understand <laughs> why that would be that would be a little <laughs> alarming. Well, know this, too, just on something Melinda just said a few minutes ago. When you think of... Um, Okay, Melinda, you have young boys. Picture, the, mm-hmm. you know, pretend there's a kid in your kid's school who maybe witnessed a double murder and he's just a very strange kid. He dresses all in black, has this dazed look in his face and you hear things about the kid. You know, maybe he's the kid that lights butterflies on fire. I don't know, but you just, you have a weird sense about this kid and picture you had a daughter and something similar happened. Even though they may be similar in age, I do think that when you know someone is quote unquote troubled, it does raise it to like a new bar and that you do see it as a circumstance of being taken advantage of. I don't know. That was, I, I sorry to go back to that, but that was just something that I'm trying to summarize what I thought of that, that he was the troubled kid, the weird kid that we need to be weary of. And I think it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Different Weasley topic on Percy. I'm curious. I, I was wondering, as you guys were saying this, the interesting side effect of him, everything we say about why he, he can't fit into the Weasleys is why he can get along with Percy. It's because he's not sort of this naive, weird little well-meaning kid who's just says what he thinks. It's that, you know, he encourages, I, like Percy changes. I love Percy. He's my favorite character in this, I think. And I love the changes in him. And I love if you had gone to him from a different side. Because the sense with Percy is that he's like he's sort of like abused by the twins. And then he's kind of like driven away from the family. And you make an effort to like, get to know him and make him seem like you respect him and then suddenly he respects you back. Well, this Monday morning quarterbacking is certainly part of it and it's what happens when you're able to go back in time and relive certain things. They know from the original plot line that Percy eventually came around very close to the end. Exactly what happened in canon. Percy came around very close to the end. So I think if you go back, you're able to say the right things and avoid the mistakes that you had before and you're able to mold him into someone that will be an ally versus will be an enemy. I do think the character of Percy is an example of someone who like with Hermione, are you not giving them the chance to be themselves? Are you taking away their ability to make mistakes? Are you molding them into the person you need them to be versus the person they would otherwise become? I don't know. Um, I do d- definitely think Percy is more um, of a character that would support Harry and that would, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt and someone who he certainly knows better than in the original. But I do get the sense, like with Hermione, that 
they're taking away. She's his not part of the trio. Her. She's sort of written. She's like a side. She's no more important than Neville in the story, basically. Well, this, I feel like let me. But well, no, I think Neville's a far more important character. I feel like Hermione's her- almost like a. She's she's a missed opportunity. I feel yeah. like it, it worked out too easily right. with Hermione. And, you know what I think? Uh, it's um hard to work Hermione into this kind of fic because they know everything, and Hermione functions as a font of information, and she can't do that here because they know everything. And also, if you bring Hermione too close, you risk her figuring everything out too soon. Well, she figures right. it out in the chapters, by chapter whatever, 20-whatever. Well, she doesn't figure it out. They give her the main yeah, and she still the- doesn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's, let's give her some credit. All right, let's um, let like me go back and... Luna was the one that figured it out before Hermione. Yeah. Within 10 minutes! <laughs> I tell you my do you think theory? she she did that last time? Didn't she do that in Nightmares too? She like did. Harry was walking up the stairs and she looks up. You're 35 years old, aren't you? <gasps> Which, by and the way, if someone guesses too. your secret, <gasps> it's not the correct response. You should try and play it. You make it sound like, like he wrote it. Well, yeah, Scott has <laughs> his pick too. The same thing they go back and past, and the same thing. Luna is the only one who recognizes that Harry's someone from the future. But I have no Luna's trouble believing Luna could do that. Do you? Oh, me neither. Yeah. I thought you had Luna as the bad guy in your stuff. Are you my mother? I thought she was dead. <laughs> I told you I didn't like Luna in Order of the Phoenix. It was at, but once Half Blood Prince, Half Blood Prince Half-Blood came Blood out. That I really took really to Luna. So we're going to start with chapter 16 tonight. I did appreciate Ron's perspective on yeah. the uh, scene that got Harry booted from the burrow. Because in, when Harry is saying it, all you can think of is, Ron, shut up. Your mother's listening. Ron, shut up. Your mother's listening. <laughs> Ron, stop threatening to kill people. Your mother is listening. And she's frowning deeply. But it's the like second Ron opened his mouth, didn't you just know that, oh, Ron, shut up, that you would just... Yeah, and when, and when Hermione's like, the following is Dumbledore's army. D-U-M-B-E-L. Just don't write it down. Whatever. Never email it and deny you ever said it. Yeah, don't go to Blackberry. Um... <laughs> Exactly. When it was from Ron's perspective, it was a throwaway line. It was, oh, don't worry, Harry, she's downstairs yelling at Dad, and you could hear her smashing the frying pan over <laughs> Arthur's head. <laughs> so you're like, oh, well, maybe she's not listening. And then it kind of well, went on from there. It was kind of like a hard situation for anyone to talk their way out of, even Ron. It's like, how do you say, oh, yeah, um, I can explain why my best friend had uh, my little sister almost naked. That's kind of like a hard thing to explain to your parents. Well, he tries. He's like, don't, now picture this. Picture you're a parent and your little girl who you think should be playing with dolls is half naked being touched by the bad <laughs> kid. You know the kid. He wears a leather jacket. He listens to that <laughs> punk rock music. And you kick the kid out of your house and she's never leaving the house again. And you march upstairs to the older brother who, God help you if you knew this was happening. And he's, I can explain the whole thing away. He really loves it. The thing that drove me nuts is that they didn't tell them. I thought for sure they'd tell them then. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's it. Like, what are you going to say? I mean, it just sounds like it's like, in that context, it would be, oh, yeah. Um, it's okay because they're both thirty years old. Like it would just be really awkward. But no, th- like but think it if up for that they're part. married, mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, ma- they're married. They're they're just waiting for their bodies to mature. <laughs> went to Utah, but, um, you know, it's, it's okay there. But let's actually talk about that because the plot point is that he won't tell anybody until that person makes the choice to support him, which I think is a good thing because I think without that, like I think in nightmares, the issue was they had to be Occlumens. Because well, to- you run the. No, they don't really. See, they say if they're that? not, I mean, if he doesn't have supporters telling him, like, if he told the Weasleys now and they still rejected him, you obviously you run the risk of Voldemort getting to them and finding out about the time travel. 
Well, not really. You give but someone this. You give Justin like, a significant glance. Whole problem solved. They say that though. Like they keep saying throughout the whole thing, we're not going to tell any. But I, I don't quite get what their interpretation of someone choosing to side with them. Yeah, I don't. I, think, I, I, I don't get quite get how this Snape too. and this Dumbledore proved that to them before they told it to them. I don't really quite get even how you know, like half the people. How how did Sirius Black and Remus prove themselves in this world that they were going to stand by them no matter what before they told them? How did Snape and Dumbledore? You know, they're. they're it's well, Brought, I mean, Snape brought, and Dumbledore. I mean, Snape literally like risked his life on a number of occasions for this cause. But that was and in the other world, I guess. His, well, but, right, and but, in. But, but, no, he's right because the Sirius and Remus they immediately put the pensive out for them almost uh, as soon as Dumbledore was there, and that's Sirius is like Harry's family or whatever. But why weren't the Weasleys given that same consideration for Ron and Ginny? It 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 didn't really quite the, make sense. Was, I think that well, they but, knew that the Weasleys wouldn't. I don't. I don't think the Weasleys would have bought it, quite frankly. I, I really don't think they would have at that juncture. When you look at the flashbacks, you have them standing around Dumbledore's portrait. Dumbledore's portrait says, tell me, tell Snape, don't tell anyone else. Let them make that decision on their own, which I think is important because I think you, you can't take away the people's free will. You have to give them the chance to want to be your friend before you tell them you must be my friend because you were my friend before and we can't screw up the timeline. Unless you're Snape. So, unless you're Snape. I'll make the argument that they told Dumbledore and Snape initially because they're members of the Order of the Phoenix, and we know that they're going to side with Harry no matter what, and Dumbledore is someone who's helping them put this thing together, knows they'll need that support right away. For Hermione, for Neville, for Luna, for the Weasleys, people who Harry is going to be meeting for the first time, you need to make every effort to give everyone as much as possible the chance to get to know you and want to side with you. Snape isn't going to get the warm and fuzzies for Harry. He needs to be ordered to do it, and he'll do it, and he'll know it's the right thing to do. Dumbledore is someone that, if he's convinced right away, he's a huge asset to have. I think that they shouldn't have told the Weasleys on the train platform. I think that, I don't think they should have told anyone on the train platform. Hermione chose to be Harry's friend. So did Neville. So did Luna. Uh, with Remus and Sirius, Remus was very good to Harry, you know, all through his third year up until the point where he found out the secret. I think that he, there may have even been more scenes that we didn't see there. Sirius is his godfather and you, I think you can tell Sirius is never going to turn against him. Plus, he did take care of Harry at Godric's Hollow when he brought Harry into his home. Well, you see, you can't this just from Harry's perspective, because I can just as well say Molly and Arthur are never going to turn on Ginny and Ron, no matter what. And they, and even if they're having these problems with Harry, they've demonstrated, I'm sure, through these four years, how much they love their son and daughter. They reached a point where they were. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. They reached Sirius and Remus reached a point where they were very good to Harry, and something happened that called Harry's ethics and called Harry's reputation into question, and they were concerned, but they still hung in there with him, and now was the time to tell him. They were saying, Dumbledore, I can't believe you're condoning sex between teenagers. You know, Harry, this isn't right. It was almost like from, we need to get you help. We're on your side, but we're concerned. Whereas the Weasleys, I think if, you know, for example... If the Weasleys knit him sweaters and they were good to him and they were trying and they wanted to take him into their home, but he was troubled and they, Dumbledore, we don't know what to do. And this thing just happened with Ginny. We're just so upset. I think maybe at that point they were, they're trying, okay, let's tell them the secret and let's fix this. I think it was so explosive and so toxic a, a situation that there's no way you could. They are so angry at Harry. They hate everything about them that they need to circle around and they need to find their own way back. I love the end of this chapter. It's you're saying you came back for us. And Harry just yeah. doesn't get it. Yeah. And Harry didn't get it. And I just love the last line of this chapter so much. And when it said the last memory they saw was an image of their own grave and Sirius began to understand. 
prongs, he thought your kid is pretty damn incredible. Mm. I just loved that. It was like it was so emotional, but I guess it appealed to me. That was really well done because it showed how what a good person Sirius is, and that he I'm not so about a good person, but I just love that he isn't at all questioning of Harry's purpose or anything about him, and that he really is just going to stand by him whatever happens. So I really. I like think that. it was really powerful. I mean, I guess this. I mean, I just love how guilt like Harry was just so guilty that he didn't get him right away. The first. I think that, like, the first memory is them deciding that they can't, they, they strategically can't go get him right away. Yeah, exactly. He felt bad because he left him in Azkaban for an extra year and a half. And yeah. Sirius is like, well, you left me in Azkaban for a year and a half, but you're trying to make it so he don't die. You know what I mean? I think that Harry isn't so looking at it like that, where Sirius is. Like, oh, hold on. Mike has a theory. Like, the whole who, the mysterious, weird person who's going back and um, messing with things, Dumbledore, who's, you know, obliviating Dumbledore, and... Mm-hmm. So basically, I don't buy the whole ripple thing that they were seeing in the beginning. I buy, because to me, the ripples aren't even. If, if it was a ripple, it would be as much change going backwards as forwards. I buy the theory that one, probably two people went back in time. I'm guessing two because it looks like there's one person helping the good guys and one person helping the bad guys. There's one person who, because I, I trust Dumbledore's sense and his reasoning about why he was obliviated and, um, the, you know, the secret keeper and all that stuff. And there's someone also trying to protect Rookwood, who's the Death Eater. And I, when I was, I was talking to Ryan, cause as I'm reading this, I, I think it was on Chapter 22 it happened. So I just wait, this wait, wait, wait. Let me just make sure I'm following you, Mike. Went back you in think time? two people in addition to Ron, Harry, and Ginny. You right, went back one... One person who maybe wrote the article, one person, and that same person maybe um, performed the unbreakable vow on... Well, I'm not, the I'm not sure if the if the article was the bad person or the good person. I think it could go either way. I thought the um, unbreakable vow was the good I would think the unbreakable vow is the good person. The unbreakable it's vow is the good person, best. definitely. The Rookwood person is the bad person, definitely. The article I could see going either way, in all honesty. And the question on Rookwood, from what we know in these chapters. So we come to the, real, to the realization in these chapters that Dumbledore and Snape performed an unbreakable vow with each other not to disclose what happened on the night of James and Lily's death. But and the person when, who did the vow... Right when Harry asked who the person who broke the vow was, they both, like, head-desked. Because they're both <laughs> like, crap, I don't remember. Do you remember? Like, that would well, be one of the... Yeah. That happened to me at my senior prom after party. <laughs> we had a... You know, they, so, lock every, they lock everyone in the Hilton so you won't drink and drive. They had a guy there hypnotizing people, and they hypnotized a friend of mine... To, like, if you said to him, how are you doing? He would answer breakfast, let's say. He would say the word breakfast. And at, he would come over to me afterwards. I'm like, how are you doing? He'd be like, breakfast. I'm like, why are you saying that? Saying what? You're saying breakfast. I'm not saying breakfast. How are you doing? Breakfast. See, you did it right there. What? You just did it right there. How are you doing? Breakfast. See, you did it again. The kid started crying hysterically. <laughs> like, he, like, curled you in the fetal position. You don't know how relevant your little story about that is. Okay. Wait, my theory, well, anyway, well, but anyway, the kid's like curling in the fetal position. His girlfriend is glaring at me like I killed him and I just want to let you know. So, I, so okay. but my question on Rookwood, and maybe I'm not supposed to know this yet, Rookwood performed an unbreakable vow not, no, what was the deal? He knew the prophecy. He knew the prophecy. So there was an unbreakable vow to keep him from telling what he knew about. No, no, telling no, what, what he knew and who he heard it from. Was that it, I, or was my it? interpretation yes. was that, yes. that he, and they helped him also beat the truth, sir. Who did he take the unbreakable vow with, and who performed the unbreakable vow? Is that we a valid question? Like we don't know well, either. No. We I have don't a theory, know, though. but we will. I'll just say. But that. do we only know at this point? I'm at chapter thirty, whatever. But at this point, should I only know there were three people in the Rookwood vow ceremony? I only know Rookwood. 
There are two others I don't know yet, or do yes. I? And I forgot. Yes. The two others. Okay. The, the, I know you who will they find are. out. I know. You who know who they are. Mm-hmm. My theory. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. No, something isn't right there. I've got a theory. Some kid is dreaming, and we're all stuck inside his wacky Broadway nightmare. I've got a theory. We should work this out. I think it's Merlin. And I think it's the person from the author story who kidnapped Merlin. I think it's Nimwi is her name. And I think both of them, because I, I think Luna's dead on with the whole thing, and it's foreshadowing from Luna. Oh, you which mean is, like you think Merlin is literally Merlin? Like literal, the literal Merlin is like like Luna is correct at the start when she's saying literal Merlin is jumping through time, and then chasing after Merlin is the is the witch who captures him, and the so it really is the whole Arthur legend, you know, it's like the who real Merlin. Uh, she's in I think the- her name. She wasn't uh, mentioned in this story yet, though, correct? Not yet, but, I, I, but there has to be... I'm, I'm less sure about her than Merlin, but I think it's definitely Merlin. It has to be someone else from the Arthurian tales who's the bad guy. So who else could it be besides... All right, yeah. I just have a question for Mike. Mike, who wrote the article? Um, depending whether it's good or bad, either Merlin or Nimue. I have an image of Merlin as a freelance writer for the Daily Prophet. Luna <laughs> <laughs> well, says he's under disguise. Not Merlin nice. speaking yeah. editorial. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he doesn't assume. Me. I think I'm, I had this blinding flash because they're talking. Luna, trust Luna always. Luna is correct. Did I someone say convinced. trust Luna always, or was that me? Because I was <laughs> trust Luna. All right. I read it the first time. What I what my theory was. Okay. So, I thought it was Luna. Oh. oh. Wait, yeah, so am I right, people? Wait, did, would that be time-traveling Luna, or would that be, like, two-year-old Luna? At first, time, I, thought I thought it was I Neville. thought this was some other Luna. I thought that Luna had, had gone back and was... I can't remember, like, how... Whether I reasoned that the Luna, that she'd done this... I thought whether she'd done the same thing they did, or whether there were, like, two physical Lunas, but I thought it was Luna. Because she would have been, like, one-year-old. Right. So I if they did the same thing they had, she would have had her memories as, like, an infant. Wait, so it would have been difficult for her to perform an unbreakable vow with an infant, I think. I'm not telling you nothing. I don't know the answer I to your question. I wonder whether a genius or a fool. I will say this. You're either a genius or you're in... You you win the Pansy Parkinson as a garden gnome of 2009 <laughs> award. One of those things will be true. <laughs> find out shortly. I do want to say one thing. Um, I'm not going to spoil future chapters. I will say that during my reading today, which stretched from these chapters into the next ones, I was convinced at certain points that um, Luna Lovegood was a bad guy. So oh. I will just say that. And I, I, will... that. I just want to comment on how, how, how well I just did there with Mike going on with this theory because I wanted to tell so bad I was literally biting my finger so that I wouldn't oh, say yeah, anything. I, know. I think it is... <laughs> I just can't believe what Ryan just told about hypnotism. I can't get over how relevant that actually is. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just want to say, I could have killed a man at my senior prom. I don't know what's going on. Blood See, coming I out of his like, eyes talking. Uh, so frustrating. Not like I'm yelling at you guys, but like when people say, like, oh, you don't know that comes up later. See, now I want to read it for the next three hours. I actually get up at 6 a.m. and I have a research paper to write in the next day. So this does not bode well for productivity. I want to read more not. of it, but I don't have time. Well, I do that with Danielle all the time because we're currently she's been watching all the Star Trek episodes with me and they're really serialized. So she knows some things that are coming up, but I always feel bad when she was spoiled on something. So I always lie when I'm watching it. Brian, so she'll be surprised Brian, anyway. This is payback for Babylon five for like every, all you- my Babylon five updates. Whenever you're like,
like, well, you don't know this yet. You'll find this out. Do you want a little spoiler? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's the same. Well, Gen 2 is my new ba- Battlestar Galactica crack whore. She has got, like, I think the first three seasons. Melinda tried. Melinda failed. But she has the first three seasons, so... It's it's really I love it when people. That's why I started the damn podcast. I love it when people read stuff I liked and tell me. Oh, you did that with Ryan. me in West Wing. Even, it was after the West Wing episode. <laughs> Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, I'm I working didn't even on tell my. You I bought Battlestar Galactica because you know that certain city that's going out of business. They're having a sale. Did you buy I it? Bought, I bought Battlestar Galactica. Did you buy season one? Yeah. You want to come over Friday and watch it with me? Because <laughs> Tina has mine. I love you. Live a half a mile from my house. Come over on my chips. <laughs> All right. Um, just join date night. It'll be fine. All right. <laughs> I forget where the hell we were even going. Can I just tell you, I love Remus Lucan. Lucans. His name is Remus Lucan. I love Remus Lupin's Cracker Jack investigative reporting skills. I think it's great. They're in the pensive, and it's serious and seeing his grave, and they're seeing everything, and Remus comes over. Shoes. Oh my god! How did he know I bought those shoes? It must be real. I'm like, all I could think was horrible. Like, oh my god, Remus, he was gay for some reason. I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> I guess it was just like his focus on the shoes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's like they're in. I, I the, they're in. Get Rem- one of those. Is that what my hair looks like from the back? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Remus's future office five years from now. He's like, my office is fabulous. <laughs> like, I don't know, I'm just pitching one of those moments. You know? But um, like, literally, I have all these notes for chapter sixteen, and they culminate with Remus's shoes. I just thought that was. That was good. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to. Yeah, my notes are kind of like for chapter 16 was like ag molly head desk that was like the beginning of my notes for chapter you know what though she wasn't so i'm not like i was mad at her it was just like frustrating reading it you know it's like like, i think it's like whenever i say like ooh, i did not like when that happened it's because like i get so wrapped up in the story yeah exactly when something bad happens to harry i'm like oh no but it's like from as a reader like i appreciate that it's good i understand that it's in character but it's still frustrating to no end you know what i mean that's a good thing it's like a good sign for the author but like as a reader it's still like ah it's just so frustrating and so painful to read but have you read the psychic serpent trilogy i don't believe i have yet which i the should the entire but middle story is pretty much oh god like no. it's like the situation that you just want to see correct itself for a very, i hated very, that very middle long. oh okay you really shouldn't did have you hate that. it did you hate quality wise melinda or did you hate that was the first fanfic that that i ever read for a psychic serpent mm-hmm. and i was so naive i just the the whole concept of harry potter having sex just completely threw me for a while <laughs> it completely, oh, Melinda, like, you've come I, a long way baby i know i have but i didn't where i got it from was on fiction alley and they sent me i think it was t- directly to her site so she had all three of her books you know year year five mm-hmm. year six year seven and i, I didn't get fan fiction. I really didn't get it at this point. So I read the year five book, which was, I think I read it before or after, right around the same time Order of the Phoenix. I don't know. But somehow I just assumed that, and I don't know why I thought this, it really is stupid now, but that she wouldn't write the year six one until book six came out somehow. So I just assumed like, even though that little icon was there that she was going to write that, that really wasn't a story there. So I went and I read other things later until someone commented on it. So then I went back and I was like, oh, already year six and year seven were already there. But I didn't like the sixth one. And I still don't like AU. (laughs) 
did you not like the plot wise? Or you- I kept Sorry. wanting it to get back to to the real timeline. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I just was. I didn't. Not that it wasn't a neat idea, but I just didn't have any patience for it. I wanted to get back to the to the regular story. I kept. I'm the difference. Kind of I think if flipping yeah, ahead like until it's like, well, when does he get back? Because this is dragging and on and on and on. Well, like even in this story now, I think one of the reasons I like the story as much as I do is the believable angst with the Weasleys. I think if they all kiss and make up and everyone's fine and they're all, they all go for a picnic together, I'll lose interest in the plot because I real I want there to be consequences. I want there to be differences between the timelines, and I don't want it to be a reset button. We went back in time, and now everyone's in. I, I really I appreciate that angst and stuff. So when stories hold the status quo hostage, the longer the better, as long as it's believable, is my thing. So we'll see how that goes. Um, chapter seventeen. I just want to comment that everyone's question to Harry is. Um, why didn't you obliviate the Weasleys? And I think it's 95%. I want them to love me because they love me and not because I manipulate their memories. And 5%. Great gopher holes. It slipped my mind. No, I, I actually, I really liked his, he wouldn't obliviate them because he had been obliviated and, and knew what that felt like, that he wasn't going to yeah. do that to that. I, I really liked that. That seemed very Harry-like to me. Yeah. And you know what? I think it was one of those things where when you get angry at someone, you get into that mindset of if they want to come crawling back on their hands and knees, let them, but I'm not going to them. And they, you know, if they never apologize, that's it. I think there was a level of that with it where he was just so... And it's one thing that you see, especially throughout um, chapters after tonight, it's just such disappointment in Harry and it's it's even beyond anger. You can't yes, blame people. it's a people. really deep hurt. Yeah. yeah it was, it's like you can't blame them. They're not doing anything wrong, but they're just, you're so disappointed in them for being not smarter and not more compassionate. It's like a very lethargic numbness. I think that's a really palpable thing. So I think Harry is just like, you know what? If they're going to hate me, let them hate me. And I think there's something to be said for that. I think it's a really, I don't know if it's the right decision to make, but I definitely think it's a very interesting decision to read. And I think it it, it says a lot about Harry. He's not the person who says, if if I just need the Weasleys and I don't care what I have to do to get them. Because he, you know what the thing is? He could have. He could have done so much to appease them, to make them forget, and he could have had them back, and he didn't. So I'll just leave it at that. I think it's. I mean, I think it's a testament to Harry kind of wanting to leave some things to chance. I mean, I really like how much he focuses on goodwill. I mean, free will. Sorry. I don't know. I mean, I think he kind of doesn't want them to force them to like him because I think he's really scared that I don't know that he'll somehow ruin what he had before by having something fake. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's the danger to. I think it's it's the plot line. It's the danger of going back in time. But if you go back in time and all the Weasleys live, but they hate you. Is the victory? Yeah. And it is, this is actually a great line from um, Battlestar Galactica. The military leader of humanity, the last one left. There's a few people left after a Holocaust. The, the military leader and the president are having coffee, and they're just discussing something they're going to do. And they thought of a way to save the human race, but it means essentially a genocide. You know, do something awful to save yourselves. And one of the heroes remarks to the other, if we do this, the people will never forgive us. And then the other hero responds back, but at least there'll be people left alive to hate us. And that's pretty much here. You know, I think on some level, to go back to what Cody was saying earlier, if the Weasleys are alive and hate Harry the Weasleys are still alive and they went back in time to give them their lives back. And he may be hated for all of eternity, but there's people there who are still loyal. Neville and Luna are fiercely loyal. And there are other characters that, you know, like Sirius and Remus would never have thought it are concerned or deeply concerned, but they still don't write Harry off. And I think what's 
somewhat shocking about the story is that the we it's not a story where just everyone hates Harry this time. The Weasleys just exceptionally are disappointing. But I and, think that, I mean, that was something that could have been avoided. It wasn't something that was, I mean, from the beginning they were wary of him, but I don't think they hated him. And I think that what made them hate him was something that, I think it was the fault of Harry and Ginny. I mean, they shouldn't have done that and let that happen. I mean, it was a direct result of time travel, but it wasn't something that they came back and it was already set in stone. You know what I mean? It was a result but of I think, their choice of time traveling. But I think that if it were serious that walked in on them, I think he would have been disappointed, but he wouldn't have kicked Harry out. And I think there were people who, like Melinda said earlier... you know what the difference the we- is with that, though, Ryan? The thing, though, is that the Weasley kids tried so hard, Ginny and Ron, to convince people that you need to give Harry a chance, and they wouldn't listen. And there were other people who di- who thought Harry was an evil bastard that did listen. When all is said and done, you know, even if the Weasleys come crawling back on their hands and knees, you can't say that, you know what, it was inevitable that you would think what you thought, because other people didn't. And I think you have to respect and give credence to the other people who did refuse to listen to the masses and did stand up for them. And you can't just say, you know, give the Weasleys a waiver. Our children need to know that some people fought back and others collaborated. Because not, they I'm not were giving wrong. them well, a waiver. I'm just saying that it is, is what it is. I'm not saying it justifies how, they, how they're thinking, but I'm just saying that it's the yeah. result of it. Yeah, but it can yeah. never be completely fixed, even no matter what. Even no matter, I'm not saying how this ends, but there's still it, it's never completely fixed. So sometimes you you say things that you regret, but you can never take them back. And I don't think I would like the story very much if they could just show be shown the pensive memories and say, "Oh, Harry, we're so sorry." You know, if only we'd known, and he would be like, "Mom, Dad," and hug them, and that would be it. I mean, I wouldn't want to particularly read the story at that point because I think that'd be too fake. I have three things to say. One, <laughs> Mike's I, making a checklist. I agree with Melinda; she's really smart. I don't think they'll ever. <laughs> well done, able, Melinda. I don't think they'll ever be able to get fully back. And actually, I also wonder on that note whether. I wonder at this point whether even if the Weasleys know the truth and they feel sorry, if their actions have scarred Harry a little bit in return. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, the, the point I was going to make to Ryan was mm-hmm. I think part of the thing you're over, you're looking at this only from a Harry-centric perspective. What I mean by that is that I think it depends who they're loyal with first. Because, so it's sort of like the Weasleys are with Ron and Ginny first. They're already starting off as the family, and Harry's the outsider. If you take Sirius, it's the inverse. So I think yeah. that if, for instance, that if Sirius had been listening to Ron say those things about killing Lockhart with Harry, or maybe Sirius saw something where he believes the rumors about Harry and Ron having sex, he would have had a similar reaction to the Weasleys, only it would have Harry been Harry and Ron having sex? Uh, Wait a minute. That's I'm not talking about the rumors at the end. No, that was the Umbridge rumor. Yeah. Umbridge you know, can I tell you, I totally missed the rumor. Like, I totally was, I was like in Mike land early season two. <laughs> and I really thought that Umbridge was implying the fact that Harry Potter is this evil bastard and Ron lets himself be tied up and left defenseless around this man who could shoot him at any time. I'm like, well, that's, everyone seems to be getting very upset. And they came back to Dumbledore's office. He's like, she implied that they were sleeping together. I'm like, Oh, that bitch. Like, I totally missed. I read, read every <laughs> line of it. Like, totally like, missed well, the Well, oh my god. I mean... I know. That, Does it even look My point being, though, that I think you would have seen a similar reaction from Sirius towards Ron. If he had been hearing Ron say the things about killing, and then he had, for whatever reason, he suspected, he heard these rumors and thought, oh, maybe there's a grain of truth in here. 
So I think the point is it's who they're loyal to first. It's not that Sirius is a more accepting person than the Weasleys are. It's that uh, he's his loyalties to Harry, not to Ron and Ginny, and the Weasleys' loyalties to Ron and Ginny, and not Harry. And I hope we see at some point that even though they have this strain with Harry. That same strain isn't there with Ron and Ginny, and they still have this deep, loving, close relationship, or are capable of having it with Ron and Ginny, just like Sirius can have it with Harry. I'm sorry, all I could picture during, and I apologize, all I could picture was Sirius wearing Molly Weasley's dress, walking in on Ron and Harry, <laughs> touching each other's nipples, and like throwing Ron to the curb. That's okay, that. earlier all I could think of was uh, Melinda Leo writing about, when you were saying in the other podcast about how she writes all the time about uh, Harry's pants getting tight. I was picturing Molly Weasley frowning at Harry every time she writes that <laughs> scene. She was frowning continually throughout the story. I think you could even argue with, with Molly's character that the change happened because of the article. She she walked into the story with just a negative impression of Harry, so she didn't send the sweater. And because she didn't send the sweater, Harry started to overcompensate. Because Harry started to overcompensate, she was thinking he was a liar, and it just kind of spiraled from there. I mean... But I think you definitely can give credence to the fact that there were other characters who had every reason to think that there might be something wrong with Harry, but they didn't turn against him. And I think we should probably leave it there until we get into the next uh, chapters. But I personally am very disappointed by the by the Weasleys, and I think that's a very good thing because I think heroes sometimes fall. So, yeah, I think it was done really well. It really made me feel so badly the whole thing was just like I, I kept wanting it fixed I kept reading ahead saying when is this going to get fixed when is this going to get fixed I have a question did you peek did you peek ahead to future chapters to see when they Absolutely. were like hugging? once that yeah. once that thing happened at the bar I was like oh no 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 I'm not reading this whole thing going on because like, I want him to have that damn sweater <laughs> Danielle and I were driving in the car and then she's like how's the podcast going sweetie because she talks to me like that she calls me sweetie and I'm like oh it's great Harry's a bagel again what do you mean he touched Jenny's chest oh my god that's terrible no but really he's 30 oh my god but she's she's 32 what hold on so I just for those of you who watch Westworld, what was what reference. to you, Melinda, was worse in terms of the Harry? Was it was it the Arthur rejecting Harry, or was it like not Harry not getting a sweater, or what's what's the? Than it. I couldn't when the second year came and there was still no sweater. I'm like, oh, I, I can't go through seven years of no sweater. I just can't do oh. it. <laughs> I love the part of Ella's writing style where, where the character's like, my, this seems to be happening a lot faster this time. Are you realizing that? Because like, like seven months go by in like a single paragraph. Yeah. It's like, it's like she's jumping. She kept it moving that way though. I do. I do. Yeah. I like, because yeah. like how many times have we read this? Like we've read two stories where year one happens so slowly and it's, it's, repetition of exactly what happened in the canon and then you get the author's note sorry for going slowly but not much changes in the first year i'm like well could you have made it a little shorter <laughs> and then everything happened just like harry I, I did like the fact that we're flying through it the new order here will be that harry is forced to be separated from ron and jenny and you have the twins who are keeping their eye on him and they're molly's lookouts and they they're doing jackass things. They're telling the entire school that Harry Potter touched a defenseless little girl. And that's probably the way they're phrasing it. And, and they're hexing they're, him. And they're hexing him and Harry won't go to McGonagall. McGonagall's enforcing Molly's McGon- rules. I didn't like McGonagall in this one. She, oh, she, yeah. she she's usually has a much softer heart than, than, than this McGonagall has. How much of it do you think was the newspaper article and the fact that Harry isn't the chosen one as much as he's the one with that terrible power and now the 
Keep the Terrible Power is King Molly Weasley's daughter is is the version you hear and keep that jackass of a kid away from my I mean, at some point like I was in where was I? I was in tenth grade and I had hay fever and I sat next to the window and the nun who was teaching my relationships class, by the way, never take relationships with a nun. (laughs) If you have one, you're burning in hell is all I remember from that class. But anyway, I'm sitting next to the window and I'm like, literally, I'm like the guy from the hay fever commercial because I can't breathe. And she tells my guidance counselor that I'm on drugs and possibly suicidal. So... (laughs) Because that's what I would think. So she calls my parents, and we I walk in to get my form to apply to college, and, like, everyone I've ever met is in the guy's counselor's office, and they have an intervention. And I'm like, like, literally, I think I had Tylenol back in the 80s. Like, that was as close to drugs as I've ever come. I'm like, oh, what? So I can, why did I just tell that story? McGonagall. So sometimes, even though the guy's counselor thought it was unlikely, she had to be in full guidance counselor mode because it's possible I could kill myself and all that stuff. So I think that, McGonagall is a softie, but I think when you start telling stories like the one, because I'm sure in Molly's version of events, Harry was doing a lot more than he actually did, and Ginny was resisting and Maybe, fighting him but off. I still have to think McGonagall is the head of house, so she would have had a chance to get to know him a little bit on her own in these couple years. But here's the thing, though. Isn't but it possible still, he's it, very... He was gone for two weeks, so you got to think, okay, a kid that an orphan kid. He's missing for two weeks. No one knew where he was. And then he comes back and you find out that he's living in his dead parents. Well, blown she up doesn't house. know that, does she? I would assume she would know that. The, 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 well, they took him house. through this. Was she there when he came? I can't remember. No, because when he, when he came back drunk, Sirius made him walk. Did McGonagall run into him along the way? I can't I recall. I don't remember, but or, I know. It's possible that the Rumorville could have, you know, Harry Potter, you know, who touched Molly Weasley's daughter has been missing for weeks. He just showed up drunk with his godfather. They're taking him to the principal's office. I mean, you could think that he's a troublemaker and Molly is Molly. Um, yeah, but Dumbledore, you get the impression that Dumbledore and McGonagall talk, at least school things that are going on, that, that they have a friendly relationship. And Dumbledore was looking for Harry for two weeks, kind of frantically sending those Patronuses. McGonagall had to know some of that. And I just, the whole iciness when she got back just just didn't work with me because she's softer than that. I, but I think that would actually um, feed into it, though, because picture McGonagall going up to Dumbledore's office to hand off the TPS reports. Picture Dumbledore at his desk, and he's, I know he has the beard, but he he's even more unshaven. And his hair, like the parts all in the wrong spot, and he has got bags under his eyes. And literally, he's popping like 30 tums at a time because he can't <laughs> find Harry. It, it, she's going to be like, that bastard, he's killing Dumbledore now. He's touching people. He's he, Dumbledore has slept in weeks and I could I could see her playing into the entire Harry is unkept troublemaker. I could also see her character not really being that much into. I mean her character is kind of a much a very peripheral character and I think it was just sort of she wasn't really looked into that deeply and I don't think that's necessarily a flaw of the author. I just think that she wasn't really an important character and it really, I mean they didn't really take the depth to really think about what her reactions would have been. I mean well, I, I think would... that she's kind of fulfilled a role and I think she it, it, it might be I might I think I'm just probably looking for a sympathetic female because I, I like I said I think Molly's off it and and now I'm thinking McGonagall's off and and I think okay all the guys are just getting this well, I don't know. okay <laughs> but but 
I'll put it this way. Maybe I'm thinking more of like a Professor Sprout or something, but I never saw McGonagall as the type that... Okay, let's look at it from McGonagall's perspective. You know, Harry is always the kid who looks like he's killed a man, and he's got a terrible power, he's in your house, and maybe with Ron Weasley, he's the troublemaker, he's the prankster, and his first day of school, he did, you know, throw dung bombs at Snape. You know, so he's the troublemaker. He's he's like the 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 twins on speed, and he goes away for for Christmas break. You know, within a few hours, he is you know, according to Molly, you know, trying to rape his daughter. No one knows where he is. Dumbledore is popping Tylenol like they're candy, and then they you find him. He comes back to school. He's drunk off his ass. So you're picturing the fact that he's out partying somewhere the whole time. You don't know the story, and you know he goes now. He's not doing his homework. If you're McGonagall, you're going to be thin-lipped and strict with him. I don't see her as the give-me-a-hug type or even, like, the... Like, I could see if something happened. Like, for example, I could see if, like, his parents had just died and then he came back drunk, that you'd be sympathetic then. But at this point, it looks like everything is just Harry's, you know, irresponsibility. And that's not something I think that she would hold on to. Yeah, I agree with you, Ryan, in the sense that I, I see her initial reaction as understandable based on what she knows, that she's a good person. It's because she's a good person that, her, that you know, her concern for Ginny is what's making her sort of thin-lipped and pissed off because she doesn't approve of students doing that sort of thing. I don't know what happens after these chapters if she's still being icy to Harry. But my impression was actually that she thaws a little bit in these chapters because there's that line somewhere in here where um, she notices that someone comments on how all of their mutual friends are still going with both of them and splitting them. And she kind of notices yeah. this and it's like kind of like a startled expert. Like you get the sense that she's thinking about it a little bit, like something's yeah. going on. So. Well, don't forget too, Ginny Weasley's the poor girl who was taken into the chamber of secrets last year. So she's yeah. the girl almost like with a developmental d- delay or something. She's like the person that y- you would think is vulnerable and is easy to take advantage of at this point. So it's one of those things where like, you don't do that. You know what I mean? Like, if you're the shy kid in school, you don't pick on the shy kid. And anyone who picks on the shy kid, you really even like less. And I just, I don't know, I, I took it that there might be some of that. I did see there was, a, I think there was a moment in there where I got the sense that she was maybe thinking about things or reconsidering her impression a little bit. I don't know if anyone else picked I, that up, too. I didn't see that with her. I did see that with um, Fred and George at the second task. I did see that. It was a little moment. So one thing about Ella's writing I noticed is that um, in chapter two, for example, when Ron is waiting for Hermione, you can tell he's very apprehensive when she walks onto the cart on the train. And you have to think if this was from Ron's perspective, he hasn't seen his wife in years and she's going to come walking through that door, but she's 11. And what does that mean? And will you love her? Will you think of yourself as like a big brother who wants to protect her? You know, all these different things. And I noticed that there was no reference to Ron's reaction to Hermione walking in, which I thought was a little odd. There was a moment, just to jump ahead real fast, when Harry rescues Ginny at the end of the second task. The Weasley twins come over, and they're like, why, why was our sister the one that was taken? Because they're, you know, they're in complete ass mode. And Ginny and Ron are like, knock it off, leave him alone. And Harry, just without even thinking... I could picture it just very calmly says she's the one I would miss the most. There was no reference to their reaction, but you have to think if that were filmed, they would be like, huh? It would be like the, like the light bulb coming on over their heads. Maybe he actually does care about her sister. He was actively making it happen. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, say you're unconscious and your body does something when you're unconscious or something. Anyway, like something you don't control, like they can't blame him for it. You know what I mean? Like they can't blame him for Ginny being, 
under the water because he didn't consciously make that decision. Right. The person he he uh, he genuinely cares for is the one who will be taken. So it's 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 concrete proof that he really cares about Jenny. Picture this: if you if you you know your twelve year old kids are saying, "Well, I really love him." Well, you're gonna roll your eyes at that because. That's what you do because you're older and you have experience. But I think that when you have concrete magical proof that these people love each other, it's like from after the end with the Expecto um, Sacrificum spell. It only works if you love someone. I think it kind of opens your eyes and they thaw out a little bit there once it's proven. Well, you would think they did, but then they really didn't. Well, they did. They did a little bit and then they had to be shot later on, which is unfortunate. But Speaking of the Triwizard Tournament, I have just a, a mm-hmm. small aside. I was kind of a little bit amused by like Moody's role in this whole thing. Where he's like he's trapped he's trapped in a chest for a year and they like people like kill him off in quotes killing him without anyone letting him know he just sort of like takes it by like total ease like oh yeah oh that explains why you had to lock me in a trunk well, for a year. Well, he kind of has been an auror. I mean, like you kind of imagine some. I mean, like he kind of has seen quite a bit of this. I, I don't, I don't think it was. Un- I don't think it was unrealistic. I just kind of. I was kind of like grinning a little oh, yeah. bit. It's like oh, I oh yeah. Make sure you fake my will so it's left the tongue. So like just like kind of so casually. Uh, you know what obsessed yeah. me completely about the whole Triwizard Tournament that I couldn't. Maybe I missed it, but did Harry ever tell Cedric about the dragons? I don't know. Yes. yes. There was a yeah. line in there that he told him. Yes, he did tell him. Okay. okay. He told him about I, the dragons. I, I was disappointed. Yeah, he told him. Well, the one yes. thing I didn't under... I wanted to kill that little stupid Hufflepuff. I thought better of him. No, because I, I, I thought in the canon he was like a really strong, like good, intelligent guy. I was really disappointed in in his reaction to what happened. I would have thought... I thought well, my... really, you, I really wanted them to grab Cedric and make him an ally. I wanted to see Cedric be with Harry and maybe let into the secret or at least like bend him and be the person on Harry's side, not the person condemning him. I thought it was very poor planning on Harry's part because he knew what would happen and it seemed like there was no plan to save Cedric other than get through the maze really, really, really fast. But they needed yeah, do to it. do, they needed to coordinate some way that Snape would be patrolling the maze and would somehow take Cedric out of commission so he couldn't get to the cup. Right, it seemed like just poor planning that got or them half, to that point. Or when half I, Ron or Ginny. Yeah, it was almost as if they it. never considered that, that Harry wouldn't be the one to get there first. It just didn't he go the wrong way or something because he was trying to get there first. Yeah. Well, you I think, you think the thirty-year-old wizard could get there first before the fourteen-year-old wizard, or I guess the seventeen-year-old wizard, but so. Yeah, because I was reading the scene from Cedric's perspective, saying, "Okay, if this were happening, what would I think?" And Harry did come across like he wanted to win the damn thing, and he didn't care who he had to kill to get there. <laughs> the one thing I thought was interesting was when, at the end of it, when they go through the pensive memories. I forget if it was Fudge or, or Scrimmage or whoever it was says, "There's no way he could have seen Crumb's eye." from that angle. There's no way he could have known he was under the Imperius curse. He must be guilty. Guilty! And Dumbledore was like, guilty! <laughs> and my thing was, well, why didn't you continue to... Like, why didn't Dumbledore say, that's odd. Why is Potter trying to get rid of him? Because this is happening. Albus has to make it look like he's opposed to Harry. If he looks like he's on Harry's side, then that was the plan. Yeah, that was no, I understand that. It didn't happen the way it happened the last time that, that everyone did. I understand. No, I understand that and I and I understand it and it's a it's a really bold move instead of fighting the ministry, cooperate, and then getting close to them and kill them from the inside. I, I think it's a really bold move, and I think it's it's really interesting to see that road not traveled. But the thing which I thought was interesting was there was enough... Because you have to understand, if you're Dumbledore, the goal is to eventually have Harry be vindicated someday. Why not leave a little bit of doubt in there, or just a little bit of confusion? Hmm. He can't defeat the Dark Lord on his own. Even in the canon, he was not able to do it on his own. I mean, literally, he was up against Voldemort on his own, but... You know, there were all the minions of Voldemort, and he had to be essentially 
not people who are necessarily following him, but people who said, I will stand by your side. And I think that he has a small group of people who will do that, but I don't think he necessarily has as much of the widespread support as he had in canon. And I'm just not sure, because I think that's something he hasn't necessarily accounted for. I mean, he's accounted for all the, like, you know, the technical things, like, do I have, you know, the X and the Y and the Z to make the equation so I can live? But he hasn't thought about, how do I get all the people I need to fight by my side? Which is and really you know a horrible even- thing to have to think about, because... I think he doesn't want to force them to, but I think it's horrible for him to think that all these people who are fighting next to him are so wary of him. But I think he really needs to consider that just because it's going to end up being a reality at some point in the future because he's going to need wingmen, you know, I mean, and six yeah. or seven people probably, but that's not going to win a war. Well, you know what's even more ominous on that note, Cody, is that if you think about it, and this could be like if you want to say how could the Dark Lord win this time, um, well, besides from the fact that he lost the cloak and the resurrection stone, that aside, how could the Dark Lord win? It's because they say that he's getting more recruits at a faster rate than he did in the first timeline because of the, you know the, the Harry Potter stuff changing. He's, he's yeah, getting more recruits you know, at the same time. Really- but at the same time, if you think about it, the Order is getting less recruits because yeah. remember Dumbledore's afraid to pr- approach people like Kingsley. Kingsley's not in the Order this time. I mean, I don't know. I, I think Tom is yeah. wrong. But 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 at least you get the sense that they're you not mean Dora. Yeah, Dora. Yeah, I mean Dora, Dora the Explorer. What the <laughs> hell is that? that struck me like, wait, Dumbledore in this timeline, for whatever reason, different from last time, he's concerned enough about his like ruse as being on the Minister's side that he's not approaching new members. And the only you know order members really are ones who the first think about is that you know the scene in Deathly Hallows where they go to Godric's Hollow and they see all of these messages of support written from people around the wizarding world you know they have things like you know you can do it harry and i'm thinking of you you know what i'm talking about right yeah um i mean just that that isn't probably i mean like i mean unless something drastically changes in the next few years i mean it's of course it's going right now they're pretty far from that happening i know i'm sort of being pessimistic but i mean he doesn't have that sort of populist movement so to speak it's like the quote from balistar at least they're alive to hate him I mean, but the thing is, though, if they're not, they might not be alive to hate him because if they hate him, he might not be able to win and they'll die. You know what I mean? Like, he almost needs their support in order to keep them alive. But him being able to do what he needs to do, but he didn't do it alone. That's the thing. The thing I think, which I was saying before, I'll just close with, is that Dumbledore's plan is to be so anti-Harry, have everyone be entirely anti-Harry, that there will be no yeah. attention paid to them whatsoever. Yeah. There'll be no doubt in their mind that the Dumbledore is on. You know, you can say though, as Dumbledore, I believe Harry's guilty. But there's just something weird. Minister, look at. It. Don't you think it's weird? Yeah, Why would he banish Harry? Because that is too Harry? suspicious. Uh, I mean, no, but to, to but here's I think the they thing. They should have had a plan do that or something. Like had someone else do that. Yeah. Not dumb, not well, dumb. Because what, really, yeah. what they really ought to have done is they, had, they should have had Tonks go up from the R's. They should have had Tonks get Kingsley on their side, have Tonks get Rufus on their side. Tonks yeah. go up and I mean, be they, they wouldn't the think R's. that Tonks would have any connection to Harry because he's never even met her. It can't come from Dumbledore is the key. It has to, that has to be raised, if, especially if Harry ever wants to get not guilty. But it can't come from Dumbledore because the idea is you want Dumbledore to seem so far on the Ministry side, not raising any doubts. That Fudge, as you see, it Fudge listens to him fudge without question. Every time Dumbledore's but like, no. "Let's go here, let's go there," Fudge is like, "Yes, you heard Dumbledore. Go do it." Yeah, I mean, I'll even change it. Dumbledore could even say, "Hmm, I wonder why." Harry was so intent on returning Cedric to Hogwarts. And he only needs to say that. 
And then he can still go on about how Harry is guilty of all the crimes. But I wonder why he returned Cedric. You know what I and then you wonder would the- if Harry had come back and had, they had had him look visibly like he had been beaten up. You know what I mean? Like, had him physically look like he had gone through pain. Like, he took the brunt of something, which he did. Harry was under the Imperius curse himself, and that's why he put Cedric well, under the Imperius curse. not even that, curse, that like, yeah. he, he was, I mean, the truth is he was trying to save him. For, and look what happened yeah. to Harry. Look what happened to Harry because he stayed. You know what I mean? I, I think that would have been interesting to see that play out. My only concern at this point in the story, not knowing where it goes from here, is that they're making Harry... I understand why Dumbledore is coming out publicly against Harry and why they're having Sirius come out publicly against Harry and everyone's coming out publicly against Harry. But I just wonder if, if they're doing so much damage that no one will ever trust him again. And you want... Your goal should be one day that when you find out the truth you still can admit that maybe Harry's a good guy. I just, I fear that they're doing too good of a job. And like Mike said, so many people will be against Harry that so many people will maybe not recognize the return of Voldemort. I, I worry but that I they go that too you, far. You'll see where it goes. I really, I don't want to spoil, I don't even want to allude. I just want to say that next week's reading is probably one of the most exciting experiences, reading experiences that I've ever had, apart from the, the Harry Potter canon. Hmm. Oh. Okay. Well, I've read I, I, most of it, so I'm... I just so have, Ryan, like, you- one theory and one thing I want to kind of point out. My first theory is that I think that Daphne Greengrass is going to be involved in some significant way, because they keep okay. mentioning her, strangely. And they have no real basis to mention her, and they sort of have her as a neutral... I mean, I think it was an interesting scene where Harry's like, oh, you're just taunting me again. And Daphne's like, I'm not taunting you. When was I ever one of Pansy's, you know, just like protégés? And I think that she's going to be, you know, don't tell me anything, but then just sort of, I think she's going to be involved okay. in some way. And then I just, it's going back a little bit, but I want to read a quote. I think it's from maybe 16. It's from very early on, but I wrote it down and it's, I laughed so hard when I read this, but it kind of can uh-huh. negate a little bit of the serious talk we've had. No, Harry said, Wormtail is going to die, but he has to resurrect Voldemort first. And then I'm going to kill him, Snape said smoothly. Serious eyed him. Not if I get there first. Snape already called it, Harry said. Seriously, he didn't say anything. I would consider it a favor, Harry added, if you would kill your cousin Bellatrix Lestrange. Not right away, but I'll tell you when. Bellatrix, Sirius said. She's an Azkaban. She'll escape, Harry said. But do me a favor and take her seriously this time. And if, you go, if you're anywhere near a veil, get the hell away. Sirius <laughs> asked. <laughs> I love how serious, like, matter of fact, or it's like, oh, Snape called it. Oh, and if you can get, kill your cousin, that would be great. You know, whatever it's convenient for you. I just love that yeah. like matter of fact he is about everything. And seriously, just like what the heck? And he's, he's like I've been. A, he's like I've been doing this for a very long time. Just, just randomly mentioned me. Veil. Serious first serious. Like, he's like stay away from Veil. I'm go- I'm so, going to kill Wormtail, and he's like, no, Snape already called it. And it's just, yeah, I love I love that. It was like <laughs> the ten year old. Like I called the front seat. No, yeah. Snape already called it. <laughs> And also, Sirius doesn't say anything. He's like respecting the ancient rule of calling something first. <laughs> I triple dog dare. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. I love how they're calling know. dibs on killing Wormtail, and then it's like, okay, but you can have Bellatrix. Okay, that works. Yeah, and then it's like later, it's Harry. Like Harry nodded. It was just the same as before. Wormtail found Voldemort, and now they're both black and plotting to kill me. Is it weird that I'm happy about that? I just love that line. It's like, all right, I have a prediction. A little strange. I have a prediction. Go for I it. I have a prediction. I've got a theory that it's a demon, a dancing demon. Something isn't right there. I've got a theory, some kid is dreaming, and we're all stuck inside his wacky Broadway nightmare. I've got a theory, we should work this out. Something is up with Professor Octavius. That is my prediction. (laughs) There's a scene in chapter 18 
we're going to start on advanced ancient runes or whatever. Usually we cover them in sixth year and seventh year. And Harry thinks to himself, why are we covering them now then? You just made a theory hit me, Ryan. I've got a theory. We should work this out. How does Harry work without the invisibility cloak? Maybe some sort of super ruin with like he's doing the ruin of invisibility, like something with that and like the next level up to replace the invisibility cloak. And if I had to be a really bad guesser, I would say that Professor Octavius is trying to help them, and they will all realize someday that Professor Octavius was never at Hogwarts during the Smirling. first round, but because none... Okay, he could be Merlin, but the the thing is, he was never he at Hogwarts the first time. He Octavius guy and not Bathsheba babbling, or wherever it says in the lexicon. Like, I was like, what? Joe Rowling's notes about, like, the people that uh-huh. we never saw. The ancient runes teacher is supposed to be Bathsheba babbling. What? That's what it says. The That's ancient what runes professor is Professor Babbling. No. Professor Babbling is the ancient runes. Babbling is supposed to be the ancient runes <clears throat> teacher. There's the lexicon of B, and if you scroll down, you will see that she is the second entry under B after Babbity Rabbity. Babbity Rabbity. That professional. She's the second entry right. down. My <laughs> prediction Octavius was never there the first time. Ron and Harry would never have known, and Ginny just never took ancient runes. So not None of them realize this person was... If only Hermione had lived the first time, she'd be like, Who the hell are you? <laughs> so I think the real ancient runes professor is locked in the closet. There's something <laughs> up with that. And obviously, we have the plot point with the rune, the scar-shaped rune, and that's the one that symbolizes emotional and physical Interesting. Pain, you so. know, I kind of got my literary analysis hat on with that. And I just thought it was so interesting that it was it had one of these you know you know the weird moments when you kind of the fanfic you're reading again. Out. What? <laughs> Sorry, I said I'm biting my finger again. Oh. No, I'm sorry. I'm just saying that I think it's when I had one of those moments where I've read another fanfic and it's like they kind of melded in weird ways where I'm like, wait, this was another fanfic, right? Because the end of this fanfic, it was something like Harry no longer had his scar. He was free. When I read this, I just sort of loved how they made it that the scar was sort of representative of all the kind of burden that came upon him. And I really don't Mm -hmm. like it in stories where it's like something literal, like there's something like living in his scar. You know what I mean? I, I enjoy it more where it's just sort of the metaphorical idea of all this burden that's being placed on him because he is the one who needs to save everyone. And that his scar is representative of that and that that's sort of the burden and the pain that all this is coming from. Yeah, it's not like Harry has tapeworms or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would just be kind of like, I think, you know, a little bit of a pop-out. He's a monster in his stomach, though, so I don't know. But I mean, that, Harry's that's, had an aneurysm all the time. It gives him awful headaches at night. <laughs> they thought it was Voldemort. Yeah, it really it, just it, it, it has to be more human than that. You know, I mean, I don't like when it's a magical cop out. You know, and it's saying something like, "Oh yeah, there is like a magical thing living there, and that's why." I mean, I, I like when it's more of a human explanation. You know, I think that you know he he can't deal with this, and it's just this huge burden that I mean, and that I can't imagine how I would try to deal with something like that. You know what I mean? Like I'm. I'm 16, and and I what what he would have been pretty much going into this last year, and I mean I'm just trying to think, you know, it's, it's interesting for me just trying to think like what I would try to do like coping with something like that. And but none of I'm, you are questioning that that he's right that that's what that rune means. What I'm I'm not questioning. I'm not even going into the story. I mean I was just kind of. Well, I am now. <laughs> well, yeah, now I am. <laughs> 
But like, I, mean, I, I wasn't even curious. like talking about the story. I was just kind of talking about like his scar signifying a burden. It can signify pain if that's what he thinks. I, I don't really understand runes all that well, to be quite honest with you. So I'm like, okay. That's how, I, well, I'm yeah, I'll admit it was I originally- didn't understand it either, but maybe that's because I was like thinking about how like I missed this boat. Like Ella's idea of ancient runes is so much cooler than mine. It's like they actually do well, stuff instead of being like a language in a book. <laughs> All right, let me ask you this. So the so the, the the scar-shaped rune symbolizes emotional and physical pain, but it also makes people invisible. Can someone please explain what I'm missing? That's a different one. There's two that's runes. Different, different. Okay, that's a different Okay, so the invisibility rune that he does is a different rune. Yeah, yeah. I think so. All right. That was the point I was, was missing. Now, explain something else to me, because I, I had to email Melinda Leo this, because I know she's read the canon. Okay, Deathly Hallows came out a uh, summer ago, a couple summers ago. Now, there's a plot in the story about these things called Deathly Hallows, and there's, what do we have? We, got, we have the stone. Master DH. The stone, okay. the cloak, and the... Did you just tell me Deathly Hallows is written after DH? No, I said this is written after DH. Yes. Yeah. Oh, thank you know God. Because you also have the whole thing with Snake and Lily and memory. contradicting My gosh. All right. So we've got the stone. We have the, we have the resurrection stone, which lives inside of a snitch, which when Harry licks it, the stone comes out and it lets him see his mom and dad <laughs> as he walks. <laughs> when he licks it or... Ki- did he lick it or... Ki- he, he kissed... Well, it's not like a golf ball. I mean, it's sanitary. He has to open... He, I had to open the thing. I guess the stone out. And he doesn't lick it. It's not like it's like a lollipop or something. <laughs> no, hold on a second. Because the stone, the resurrection stone he put it in his was originally. No, well, I, uh, no, okay. I thought he just whispered to it. I opened it the clothes. Oh, no, no, I'm no, about to die. He had to put it in his mouth because it snitch has a snitch has flesh memory. So he had to put it in his mouth because he caught it in his. Wait, mouth. then why doesn't it open the first I'm time? I'm about to die though. Because the because he that it didn't have the stone in it then. Because the stone was in the gaunt ring, and then the stone Dumbledore yeah. put the stone in the, in snitch. the snitch. It wasn't the okay. stone no, no, was but, not but, but in the snitch the, when it was flying around at the Quidditch match. Because that would be wicked. <laughs> All right. So we've got hold on. So we've got the stone that lets you see dead people. It's like sixth sense, and you've got the, the you've got the cloak which hides people, and you've got the wand which. Puts other wands back together. Yeah, okay. So you've got the Deathly Hallows. Now, if you have all three Hallows, the rumor is that you control the, you're the master of death. You're the master of death. So when Harry walks up the stairs of Bill and Fleur's house, he has a choice between going in the Hallow room or the Horcrux room, and he goes in the Horcrux room because that shows he's selfless. All right. So explain to me this: Harry loses the cloak. Why does he then assume he's going? To die because he I, lost I didn't a house. Know this because, last okay, here's the thing. Because he thought that he lived because he was the master of death, not because he was a Horcrux. Okay. Yeah. Everyone else I, agree. I, I didn't get this last week, and they explained it to me. But I guess I guess there's some things from canon that he got, and some things he didn't. And the because one thing from canon he didn't story, get was that it wasn't of the Hallows that yeah. he. Because this story goes. AU after, like, sometime during the Deathly Hallows book. Like, that is where the story diverges from canon. And okay. somehow in that divergence, Harry didn't get... Like, he came back because he was a Horcrux. And right, I, hang on I a second. You're telling me that... That that's because he didn't get to talk to Albus on the platform in this... 
Yeah, my understanding was I could be wrong. My understanding was he thinks the way it worked is that because he had the resurrection stone and all the Horcruxes, that when he got killed, there's like sort of like he got killed and the Horcrux was destroyed, and the resurrection stone and and the other um, that's me Hallows, not Horcruxes, brought him back to life. That, all right, so you're the, telling me that Harry Harry misread the canon is what you're telling me. Yes, <laughs> Harry misread Deathly Hallows. He is like the multitude well, of he's me. To scream my head there, off. There, like there's a too. reason later why there's some confusion about that too that comes up later. Okay, so Harry went AU is what yeah. you're telling me. And Harry misread the canon. Okay, we we took us a while to get him with all the wands and all that jazz. So I guess he's just one of those people who didn't really get the canon all that well. Well, you know what? The, the problem I had with the canon was that Voldemort died in the middle of a paragraph, and you would think that would be worthy of its I'm own sick. line. So I missed it. What happened? <laughs> I read up, I'm like, oh, he's dead. Look at that. So, so I mean, <laughs> well, maybe Well, you needed, Harry like, a diagram or, like, ten pages of charts to figure out how that entire thing worked. I mean, you know, like, she had to have, like, a separate explanation on her website because no one got how that entire thing worked. Someone wrote it really well. It might have been Melinda, it might have been someone else. They closed the chapter with Lord Voldemort had returned to Hogwarts, and that was the last line of the chapter. That's hey. really helpful. <laughs> that was you? Hey, hey, Melinda. Ah. That's really helpful for someone like me. Oh, by the way, you took credit for something, by the way, Melinda Leo, that was in uh, The Final Reckoning. There was a scene in The Final Reckoning, which I always loved, where they're riding in the carriage with Luna. They, they opened the front page of the prophet and they found out that the crumpled snorak whatever the hell the things are called were actually real all this time and I, it was the only one that believed in them i did but i, I thought that I was did it with the heliopath so i just had confused which one i did it with That's you did too okay i thought you were like oh yeah i wrote that sorry uh i don't know why you're apologizing but i forgive you. Yeah. mike is still confused and he's talking to me in our private chat so i almost all right here's my question maybe you guys mike what is the point i'm misremembering deathly hallows in terms of the open and the closed thing. Let's All right, the, the, sto- the stone is in the, the the snitch for the whole book, but aren't I remembering correctly that right after they get it from Rufus, they leave Rufus's office, wherever they are meeting with Rufus, and then Hermione tells them, do you remember how you caught the snitch? It was in your mouth, and he tries it, and he puts it in his mouth, and nothing happens. So my but question it says, is... I, it I'm opens stopped. after the close. I'm, right, I'm, I get that. to say I'm about to die, but, I think. But my, my question yes. is... Yes, what? no, no, yes, Cody's right. Yes. He has to say, I am about to die. Because That's it goes close. at the close of his life. Okay, so that, that was my question, is that he has to, there was a password that he has to whisper to it before it opens. Glad he guessed the password. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it had to be some variation of, like, death is near, I think it's I'm not those die. words, Ryan, it's him acknowledging it's he's going acknowledging to I know, P.S., I was trying to be funny, God. It didn't work. <laughs> There was a line I asked Kez the Bramble last week, and there was a line from, I think, this week's podcast that really made me laugh. There's a point in last set of chapters where Dumbledore is pacing in his office, and Harry is down in the chamber, and it's been like a week and a half, and we're not sure if he's okay down there, if he's got enough oxygen. And there's a point where Dumbledore references the fact that he hasn't felt this impotent since he was 18 years yes, old. Ryan. <laughs> yeah, Kez kept asking me, she's like, Wait, you're 16. Ryan wanted me to mention this. Now I don't know if I should mention this. And I'm like, I listen to the podcast. Cody is not impotent, everyone. You heard it here first. (laughs) But then the other line, I posted this in the forum. There's a point where Dumbledore says, I have recalled all living members of the Order of the Phoenix. (laughs) 
You know, I can picture, and I posted this in the forum, is Dumbledore in the Hogwarts parking lot with a U-Haul where they're unloading all of the caskets in front of him, and he's, like, head-desking. Oh I've recalled all living members of the Order. Well, thank God someone was thinking that morning, Dumbledore. James and Lily are being backed off. The, I don't know. Think <laughs> all these dead bodies. They Clarify, have zombies on their side they can't lose. Voldemort has zombies, too, though. Yeah, Voldemort has zombies. It'll be a zombie versus zombie war, and it'll be werewolves are better than zombies. Well, there's there's werewolves on Voldemort's side, too. I'm sorry, I was trying to make an obscure wizard rock reference. Jeez. (laughs) Okay, never mind. I'm shutting up now. Harry had to tell him he was going to die, and all I could think of was, oh my god, Harry has cancer. Like, I couldn't figure out what was happening. <laughs> that would be such a horrible, um, like, way to end a fic. Like, he beats Dumbledore, and then they realize he has, like, cancer, and he dies shortly thereafter. I think, wasn't that one almost up to be put in the podcast kitchen? Probably. <laughs> I'm guessing. Well, so. no, the awful thing was, the night Jen thought she had cancer and was going to die, she wanted to read a fan fiction, and she read one where Harry got cancer and died. Oh. It was awful. <laughs> that was incredibly not fortuitous. It's like, ugh. Not the greatest thing to read in that context. I like Ella's use of flashbacks to the original timeline to show how the characters responded then compared to how the characters responded now. It was very confusing for me because I listened to this in audio form, so I couldn't tell (laughs) when we were shifting back in time. So I was trying to figure out in Chapter 3 or Chapter 4 why Harry was talking to Ginny if she was at the borough. It it didn't make a lot of sense, and I was confused by that. Before we go on, Ryan. I did like the part where... I just want to say real fast, I did really like the part where... um, Voldemort broke to, into Hogwarts um, because he realized his hor- horcruxes were missing and he had all the students killed in their beds to target oh, yeah. those parts of the school. I thought Teen that was fire. Really oh, dark. Yeah. Was, was that, was Teen Fire, was that canon based or was that yeah. a fan? In- That's the one Dumbledore the uses in the cave. The, the tiara, the di- diadem. Diadem, whatever it's called. Crab. 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 No, that's just plain fire. Okay. You can use in like plain old fire to destroy the fairy. Oh, that's helpful. I'll bring a match <laughs> with me. I thought that was a great moment with the um, students being executed in their beds because it showed why he's so... Because he wants the Gaunt Shack rebuilt and he wants to really hold the secret down for as long as possible. So I think that was a good example of showing Harry actually trying to fix things versus just letting things play out in any which way. So I thought that was... That was a really good moment. I thought you were going to say Voldemort didn't give them uh, half an hour in that, in that case. You have one hour. <laughs> Can I just tell you, Danielle doesn't listen to the podcast, but she walks around saying, you have one hour, and then I will give you another hour. And I'm like, you realize <laughs> I made up that line. That wasn't actually in the canon. She's like, yes, it was. I'm like, no, I actually made up that line. J.K. Rowling, she has billions of dollars more than I do, and now she's plagiarizing my crap. So. <laughs> Mel- Melinda knows how I feel. It's just it's an awful feeling. I, wa- I wanted to ask Ryan a question back when we were talking about Dumbledore, and, he- and he's playing up on the ministry side. So are you saying mm-hmm. that you personally think he shouldn't have done that, and he should have continued as he was doing in canon? No, I think he. I think in canon, he was Harry's supporter, true and true. I think he was an awful politician which is why I think he lost so much political capital. I think Dumbledore in this version is Harry's enemy, true and true. I think he is trying to be the best politician possible. I think there was probably, instead of going 100% extremely against Harry, he could have left little cracks and he could have said, this is odd, this is odd, this is odd, and allowed people room to, when 
maybe at some point in the future, Harry is vindicated to accept it more or to say, yeah, that didn't make sense. That didn't make sense. The only reason I can think of why he wouldn't do that is if he wants Voldemort to believe it's a slaughter for Harry. And Harry is... I just thought of something. I mean, like, okay, so there's going to need to be a figurehead during the war. I mean, mean, you sort of need someone to sort of rally behind in the war against Voldemort. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be really interesting if it was Neville. Like, if they tried to play the PR so that they were saying that, oh, the prophecy was wrong, it was actually Neville who was, I mean, make it so that, you know, that he was kind of like the face, so to speak, of the... Neville is the chosen one, yeah. That Neville was supposedly the chosen one, and he could kind of act as a rallying force because people would be more likely to follow him. And I, I think that then you could kind of have him as the official face, so to speak. And then have Harry sort of doing the work that needs to be done, but have Neville sort of leading the main public part of the revolution. So I think that'd be Well, Neville is Harry's greatest ally in this publicly, because yeah. Neville's parents were killed by Death Eater, so it why the true, hell would Neville true, but I think that he is his ally, but I, think, I don't think he's kind of painted with the same am brush. I, am I forgetting something? Are they dead in this? His I'm parents excited. are dead. Neville's parents are... They're not dead. No, his parents are... They're, they're in St. Mungo's. said dead, and I got confused. Excuse me, my bad, yeah. But I think I, he has kind I, of, oh, I'm sorry, yeah. doesn't have the record Harry has, so to speak. You know what I mean? Like, he may be connected to Harry. Like, as far as public image goes, he still is much cleaner than Harry is. You know, he doesn't have all these rumors, and I think that even if they connected him with the prophecy, it wouldn't have the same effect. If they said it isn't him, I, mean, I think it would work in, if, in the context that people are starting to get worried about Voldemort, and they're sort of looking for a hero, which I think people do at the time. Mm. And if they made Neville into that person then they could sort of give him a role in the war. I mean, not that he didn't in the canon, but, and then sort of negate the problem to a degree of trying to get people to support Harry because it needs to be Harry and figurehead. Because I don't think it necessarily Mm. has to be. I mean, I think it was in canon because that's how things worked out. I just want to say too, I think that when you look at um, Neville too, just to take back something I just said, you could make an argument too that people who know Neville, who know what he's made of, would probably start to come around to Harry's side because why would Neville, who's an honest man and a good man, why would he be supporting someone who is essentially a death either? Maybe, you know, worse than Voldemort. Why would you support this dark wizard if dark wizards took away your parents' life? And there is real-world examples where, take the case of um, Cindy Sheehan, who lost her son in the Iraq War. And if you remember politically, she came out against the war in the very beginning, and she protested at President Bush's ranch, and you know she got a lot of media attention, and she was seen as as a very viable threat to to the image of the war, and you know she she was seen as is very threatening because she she was bringing people to her cause, kind of like how Neville would be. You know, if he well, was to publicly support Harry, but then, but then, but then, the thing what happens later on is the more you, do, the more you do that, the more you do that, the more you do that, you is with the case with her, you come across looking like an extremist after a while. But I don't think lose. okay, but I think there's a there, I think there's a difference. You know, yeah. I think in one case could be saying that Dick Cheney's Voldemort. I'm not saying you are, but unless you are, there is a difference. Dick like, Cheney's Darth Vader. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is when you have no. Let what me just clarify. What I'm saying is when. People who support the other side, so to speak, we aren't trying to win their votes. You know what I mean? Like she was polarizing because there were two semi-valid sides to an argument. No, but what I'm saying here is people are solidified in their opinions. And one thing that can make people change their minds is when someone who is most likely to support one side supports the other. 
when the parent of someone who died in a war comes out and says the war is wrong, that implies to people who maybe don't have a piece in this, don't have, don't know anyone there, don't know much about it, think, okay, this person seems like they know what they're talking about. They, they, they have a personal stake in this, and they're telling me something, maybe I should listen to them. Everyone's against Harry Potter, but when the son of nationally recognized heroes, ors who gave their lives fighting dark wizards, when he comes out and says, Harry's not a dark wizard, believe me, I wouldn't support the dark wizard. You go, hmm, you know, maybe this Neville thing knows what he's talking about. so bad that I don't think he looks trustworthy at all. I mean, I don't really know how, like, publicized the thing with Jenny would have been, but I mean... I think people were, would be pretty soured on Harry by now. Well, yeah. look what happens when the you know, all I'm saying. Let me just clarify my his point mother, here. His grandmother steps up and does that. The mother of the famous right. artist who died. And look what happens to her. She's arrested. And the paper says we should search her for confuzzlement right. charms. Uh, and that's what I'm saying here. All I'm saying is that I had said originally I think Neville would be the perfect person to stand up and to really help Harry here. But what I'm saying is, in retrospect, that's not true. I think he should publicly break with Harry. And then I think, and if not, I think him. I think he needs to publicly break with Harry, and I think they need to build him up as sort of what Harry was built up to be in the canon, in it publicly anyway. I mean, I, I'm not sure uh-huh. if that's how it's going to go. I'm not sure if it's a theory, but I think that would be an interesting way to take it. Yeah, and I'll just add to that one thing. And like I said before, Cindy Sheehan was seen as the perfect person to speak out against the war until she was labeled as an extremist. And once you're labeled as an extremist, you lose that ability to influence people. Neville could be someone who could support Harry, but if you label him as a kook like his grandmother, who's just naive, then all of a sudden no one wants to listen to Neville Longbottom, just like no one wants to listen to Mr. Lovegood, no one wants to listen to all these other people. I mean, the thing I was saying earlier is what they really needed to do, and I, I wish Ella had done this, is just get it more quietly. Have it spread from person to person. Have people tell who they think is trustworthy or who they think. Saying before about Tonks, because like Tonks doesn't know Harry, and she now knows the truth because Remus told her. They could have gotten Tonks to get people from inside the ministry. But would, he, would Tonks be telling them that Harry is a time traveler or just he good? I think he's not all that bad. Just like yeah. maybe very casually and like if they look more interested, tell him more. And if they look more interested, tell him more. Kind of like what I was saying earlier with Dumbledore, yeah. Harry being able to live underground worked very well for them. I can't help but wonder, it's going to undermine the, the order too though because how are they recruiting people? I mean, I think the order needs to split can't. with him and, and they... They need to get a new figurehead if they're actually going to be functional. I don't think they will. Order's not really a public thing. Yeah, that too. It's not like a public But they're not recruiting new members in this story is the problem. Right. In canon, they recruited new people like Kingsley, and they stopped. They've cut off new recruiting. It's only the older or The older, the older. um, They should have had Tonks go to Kingsley and just sort of yeah. casually say that she thinks something looks fishy. We leave off tonight at the end of, of Gobble of the Fire, and that's the point in the original where the Order of the Phoenix was heating up again. So I think you're going to see, Mike, as you go into future chapters, you're going to see what happens with that. Maybe. How do we- I think that if the Order goes at all public, if, if I think they'd be interesting to have Harry working underground on what needs to be done and having the Order kind of playing the political game, and they have everyone just pretty much break with Harry en masse. They have to kind of drop off the lead weight almost, in, the, in that sense of getting public opinion to his side. Really? And actually, you know, I think I think the there can is go an advantage public. to a small, tight close-knit order that's only working with Harry because what you get is you give Harry a support network. Well, I think that's still going to be but there, though. I think they can still have that support network, even if they're not publicly no, no, supporting I know that. But in the, 
Yeah, I say I'm. I don't think they should publicly support him. I think the the order should be all underground. Well, here's the yeah. Thing. The order is an underground organization. They don't have a website. Yeah, they're they're technically an illegal terrorist organization. Is what they they don't have they're to file a campaign financial report. Can I just tell you? I just one thing about the story is Dumbledore is the head of the Order of the Phoenix. He's the headmaster of Hogwarts, and he's the chief Mugwump or whatever he is of of the Wisingman. This is the first story I've ever read where you actually see him go to work there. Kind of comes across and can like this honorary title. You know what I mean? Like he comes and cuts ribbons at Stop and Chops when they open. And this one, he actually like you see him like all rise, and it's like you can tell him looking. At his watch because he's like I have class to teach and like four. I just thought that was like, how many people are alive in this world that he's I doing love jobs? him I in know. this fic like I think in this fic I think Albus is my favorite character because my favorite character's not in it cough cough the decisions he made especially in this last chapter in tonight's reading where he's able to think on his feet so fast I just love him so much I love his code talk with Snape I was I kind of copied that into my little notes it was only a matter of time before this happened and then he's saying that I prefer to believe that a man is innocent until proven guilty. And then it says, I suggest you let Black look for him. Potter will trust Black, and Black might have a better idea of any of us where he's gone. And then it's like he knows he's in Godric's Hollow, and then he's like, very well, Severus, that is all that's required of you. And it's just like, I love their little yeah. code, because you can tell they've sort of been developing, mean, like, this is how they've been communicating. I mean, he's a spy, and he's basically a, I mean, spy master or kind of connection to the world, and this is, like, amazing code they have. Just, like, seeing it in action is really cool. Well, that's great that Snape picked up on it, because I was the one that missed the whole subplot where Umbridge accused Harry <laughs> and I could never have written it. I could never have, like, thought up all the things that they need to do. Albus tells Sirius he has to go kill Crouch. I completely forgot about Crouch. I was like, yeah. oh, yeah! I just imagine, <laughs> this like... This is why P.S. will never imagine, run the like, CIA. <laughs> if I had, like, written this fic, like, I would forget about Crouch, and he'd, like, still be running around as Moody. <laughs> <laughs> like a little, like, loose end with a wand. Crap. Yeah, that, could, that, could, that could possibly It's, be. like, half that a fixed year. I knew I forgot something. And, like, Neville's <laughs> remember all, like, glowing unnoticed in, a, in, like, a closet somewhere. Poor Moody. I thought oh. it was interesting that they kept it public. I would have expected, or I would have done this if I was Albus, is have, um, like, Sirius, like, take him off somewhere and kill him instead of letting the world think that Alistair Moody was dead. But, you know, kind of Moody said, like, he... a dead man has certain advantages. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I'm picturing with Dumbledore's leadership style, we're going to have, like, 400 people living at Grimmel Place who all faked their deaths. There's going to be no one working because everyone's... I don't know. I do love the fact that when Dumbledore takes charge, he's like, Sirius, go into the maze, burn the body. Like, Sirius is sleeping and runs in. I don't know. I thought that was good. I do like the fact that the story ends off at the end of these chapters with Sirius Black, a free man, and Harry Potter, a fugitive, running from the law. I thought that was great. That was... The more things change. Wow. I thought that was good. I like that a lot. Um, English, this means too, that there's no Dumbledore's army. So that not only is there no new members coming to the Order, but there's no one. Harry's not building the corpse students around himself, which is interesting. Well, I do have one thing, and I hope I'm not giving away too much. Obviously, we have Umbridge introduced um, at the at the hearing, and we're going to see more of Umbridge in year five. My question is, what place does Umbridge have in the story if Dumbledore is trusted by the by the Minister of Magic? It's really That's hard one. to talk to you guys that haven't read. I'm the, sorry, the, I have a case to No, see, actually, I'm trying to remember what I thought, like as I was going through it, which is actually really helpful because then I can be like, well, I'm not giving anything away. 
by saying this because this is what I thought when I was reading it. Well, and this is uncomfortable for me because I'm, I'm enjoying the story so much. I actually did read ahead for like the first time ever. So I'm like, oh crap. So I'm being very careful not to mention things. But I do think that the, that the storyline potentially eliminates a role for Umbridge because I don't think she's necessary. She'd be an ally. I just want to talk for one second. I will just say this. Uh, do you remember, so. just remember what she was getting up to before Albus left in Order of the Phoenix? Wait, 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 what? You're, you oh. remember, okay, in the first half, okay, oh, remember in the first okay, half of Order fine. of the Phoenix before Albus even left, they were still doing DA stuff, they were still having umbrage problems. I'm just reminding you of that. Well, they can't do DA okay. stuff now because Harry and Ron and Ginny aren't even in no? the Hogwarts. It doesn't have to be Harry. I mean, but wait, they're not going to be. But they're not going to be. You know, for what was called Dumbledore's army, what it really was, it was Harry's army. I mean, no, I mean, be, you be, get a new figurehead. I mean, you make someone else into that role. I think that because I mean, before Harry fit into that role because the public accepted him in that role. I think if you build someone else into that role, sorry, I I, I seem to be Neville's campaign director, but if you build someone else into that. role, <laughs> mean you could get it so uh, you could get public support for someone else and get that core of people who are you willing to could. fight against Voldemort. I think I don't know. you're right, Cody, but I don't think it's gonna. Ha- I don't think the story. I know. Is I going. just think it should happen. I think it would work so well. I'm sorry. Well, I like the part just for a stylistic choice. I really like the fact that well, essentially at this point, Harry's a fugitive, and you don't know what's going to happen with with Ron and Ginny and Hermione and the others. I think that from a angst perspective, you can only write a story for so long where everyone's walking around the castle and everyone's staring over Harry's shoulder and they're hiding him and Ginny in the room of requirement. I think at some point you have to break up the story. So now that Harry's a fugitive, I think it gives an opportunity for number one to break him away from that mold and let him do things with less restrictions. Number two, it gets to, we get to see how he would react to that. We get to see how he would react to being accused of crimes he didn't commit which is not a new thing for him. So I think there's no, there's no point in just rewriting canon the way it actually happens. And I kind of like every little thing they do affects other things in this one. That's what makes this one very interesting. That things don't all go according to plan. Right. And how, you know, for example, the the story does seem to fly along and you're four already and we're still in the first novel. And I I, I do like that. I I do like the pacing. and I do like the direction. I do like the fact it gets shaken up because I think that's important. One thing I did want to talk about, though, was I want to talk about Harry and Janine Ron telling Neville and Hermione their secret up in the room of requirement. Yeah, that because that those because I like it. always like really strike me. Like it, it did this to me in nightmares too. Because I'm just trying to imagine myself like in the position of Hermione and Neville and Luna, and like imagining like yeah. what would you what would you would think like if Ryan came back and was like, I came back to save you because you die. You know, I mean, like, I came back to fix the podcast. We got really weak in the second season, and we weren't <laughs> editing properly. I came back. We're going to do it all over again. And I showed you the old episodes. Oh my god, you're right; those are bad. Um, well, I think oh, the I think the pensive okay. definitely helps, but I I did like the characterization of Hermione. She's smirking because she found a loophole. Why would you come back if you won? And Ron is like, "Well, do you see yourself here? Why do you think we came back?" And Neville saying that they came back and Hermione saying, no, they didn't come back. It's a fairy tale. Of course yeah. they didn't come I back. I love and Hermione. She doesn't want to believe what she I doesn't think that, like. I, think I love how big... she doesn't like to know she died. I mean, she doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, I, well, think, I, think, it's, I don't think it's that really. I don't, I think that, the, I think that it's more of Hermione has to get it to the point. And I think it's interesting in Deathly Hallows that Dumbledore chose to give her the fairy tale book and to have her figure out that that fairy tale book ha- gave them information they would need because she's so, 
normally pragmatic, and she's not one who's as prone to believe the more fantastical aspects even of magical life. And I think you see that really here, because you see that she is saying this can't be true, this is just a fairy tale, and I think she has to kind of cross a border where she isn't saying that can't exist because I have not read it. You know what I mean? It's a good opportunity because when you look at the story, one thing I think that Elle does very well is she shows us um, how loyalty is important and how the different characters rank in on the loyalty scale. I mean, when you have um, Sirius and Remus, they were loyal to Harry before they knew the secret. Um, Neville and Luna are, are, the, are the most loyal characters in this entire story. They will, you know, if Harry says that they will believe him, they don't need to have it proven to them. They will do whatever Harry says. They, they trust him. Hermione only believes it after Harry shows her DNA evidence is yeah. true. She but won't I believe think that's it more Hermione's nature. And she even said, but she even says, well, this is her nature, but she even says, and if you show me the proof, I will have to believe you. I won't want to believe you, but I will be like legally required by law to believe you if you just show like, me that. I think she also then knows. Not only the lack of trust, though, in her. Part. Yeah, I, I think, think I don't think true. it's a lack of trust. I think it's her knowing herself, and that if she doesn't get proof now, she's always going to have some part of her mind subconsciously questioning him. And she, I think she knows that she can't help him properly if she has that subconscious questioning. She trusts him, but she doesn't trust what she's being told. Yeah. And she doesn't but want to be doubting him, I don't think. But she's not turning into she, Harry when she doubts yeah. him. She's, she's not, like, like you know, pulling back from him and, like, not distrusting him as a person. She just needs some proof of that particular story. And I think it's a fine but important difference. I don't think yeah. she has any less Well, she did distrust him. him as a person. She accused them of being liars. Of course this didn't happen. I can't believe... Well, yeah, she even gets mad at Neville when that. Neville starts to accept it. She gets mad at Neville, but she but she get did mad start at Harry, though. My point being is, I, I think there's a difference. You can be skeptical of the story, whether she thinks it's lying for her own benefit or he's confused or whatever her whatever possible logic she can come up with. I don't think it has anything to do with her her feelings of whatever you want to call it, love, respect, friendship with Harry. And I think she would. I think she views him as close a friend as Neville does. And trust yeah. him as a person. I think it's just her nature that she's a sort of person who wants proof with it, regardless. Like, I can see like Hermione in canon the same way. And that doesn't mean that Hermione doesn't I, love Harry as much as Ron does. It just means that her nature is maybe Ron accepts it when Harry says it, but this Hermione wants Harry to go through it. Like I'll give you an example actually from canon, book five with Sirius. Harry tells him what's the, the whole story with Sirius. You know he's being held captive and tortured, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Ron's pretty much ready to go with Harry, if I remember correctly. But Hermione questions it, and her questioning it doesn't mean that she doesn't trust Harry. It means I- it's skeptical of the story, and she wants proof of it. Okay. But in this particular circumstance, though, either they're lying or they're not. It's not like Harry thinks he's a time traveler, but really he has a concussion. I mean, it's either you're a liar or you're not. And I think what she's saying here is she won't trust you until she has proof. And she won't extend that. She won't take your word on it. And I think that even like if you look at Deathly Hallows, she stays with Harry while Ron runs because it's, it's gone to be too much for Ron. She, it's not like she has to be, at that point, she, there's nothing to, to put faith into. She believes Harry can do it, but that it's going to be incredibly, incredibly, incredibly hard and incredibly When Ron risky. runs in Deathly Hallows, though, does he love Harry less than Hermione okay. does? Well, what I'm th- I think that it's a, a matter of strength. I think that Hermione is a little bit wavery when she first came. I mean, I think that it's not... I mean, I think that it's... I don't know if it's 
she's thinking about it, whether she believes Harry. I think she's just sort of trying to deal with this phenomenon, like whether mm-hmm. this exists or not. And I think that it's one of those things where Hermione, if you get on your side, like 100% on your side, then she is going to be on your side, um, no fail. She's going to be an incredible ally, and she is not going to pretty much, she's going to help you in whatever way you pretty much need. Ron, I think, is a more, he's easier to convince, but he's also a little bit more wavery. And I'm not saying that's anything bad about him necessarily, but I mean, you see that in Deathly Hallows, you see that in Order of the Phoenix. You know, when Ron wavers, Hermione stays. When, when she's convinced that Harry, that Harry is someone she needs to stand by, then she stands by him, whatever happens. And I think it's just like a difference between their two characters that you see as Ron's yeah. more easily convinced, but not as strong in, in kind of these circumstances. Yeah. I guess I just have a problem with you saying that her needing, I don't see her ever questioning Harry. I don't, I don't see her accusing Harry of lying. I see her questioning what he says, but oh, not, yeah. and I think it's a difference. I don't think you can say that because she wants proof that she has less trust or less feeling for Harry than Neville or Luna does. I don't think well, no, I mean, she, she, no, she does call Harry a liar in this. She does say he's lying about it. He, he, he's saying something he knows is factually untrue. I mean, ne- here's the difference. Neville and Luna know Harry and they got, they didn't know him at one point. They got to know him and based on what they know of him going forward, they will, they will trust him through and through. And really the same thing with Hagrid. Um, the same with Hagrid and Charlie Weasley that, that Harry's listening in on, where Charlie says, well, you know, my sister this and my sister and this happened and this happened. And Hagrid says, I don't believe it. You know, he, he may have made a mistake. I trust him through and through. And he won't hear a bad thing said about Harry. Um, compare uh, Hermione to the character of Percy. Percy was deeply disappointed in Harry over what he thought happened with his sister. But he also compared that to other evidence, the fact that Harry took the curse for him in the boy's dorm. So is Harry really an evil person if, for example, he did that thing? So maybe he did just make a mistake and maybe he is a good person. So I think Percy and Hermione are, are very similar in this, mm-hmm. in that Percy right. has his has, has his mind open more than Hermione does. Well, I think, okay, defending Hermione a little bit here, but um, defend, I mean, defending her a little bit, I think it's sort of, you kind of build up barriers in your mind of what's possible and what isn't. You know, I mean, I had a really good friend who I trusted completely, and they came to me and they said that, um, like, Jesus came down and talked to them, and I'm not a religious person. I would have difficulty believing that, even though I trust them, because there are barriers in my own mind that I would have to break down in order to believe someone who's telling that, even if I trust them in every other aspect of my life, because there are some things that it's not the person, it's what they're telling me, and that that... That thing that they are telling me runs up against barriers I have built up in my own mind. And I think that Hermione has some of those sort of yeah. barriers that she's built up as to what is possible and what is not. And it's and I think she trusts Harry, but I think that this information is just bouncing on some of those barriers, and it's not going to go in right away. And I think I'll that be- that's. I mean, I don't. I don't think I. It, I mean, you know, those are things that. I mean, it's sort of the same level as that. You these things that you're always been told. I mean, not always been told but you always have this thing like it doesn't exist it's not real it doesn't fit into my concept of reality and it doesn't matter how much you trust the person i mean i don't think i think there are some people who they can't accept that right away i mean they can say they do but you can't pretend to accept something like that if you are having so many second thoughts about it and i think it's better to just try to validate that in your own mind because you have a lot of subconscious doubts about what you're being told than to have those subconscious doubts just like lingering along the way and causing problems. So that's just sort of my defense of her. I think it's the idea that's running up on ground with her. Yeah. And I think I, that she's a very scholarly person, and the idea 
what is completely throwing her off because it's it's a lot of contrary to like how she thinks of the world and she, I see her as a very pragmatic person so I think that it's just hard for her to accept that and that's what she's running up against yeah I think Cody pretty much hit hit the nail on the head there like I'll give like Ryan like if Danielle came home to you today and like sat you down on the couch and went Ryan I got to talk to you about something important or whatever dear honey I got to talk to you about something important I'm from 20 years <laughs> in the future. And I came back in time. Ryan because... would believe that without batting an eye. <laughs> would you really, Ryan? You know, it wouldn't be the strangest thing that's it's happened, happened to me Star today, Trek, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It ha- but, It's happened many times on Star Trek. Like, like, but I wouldn't say, like, oh, but if you told me, like, I, I'd have to go, wait, wait. Well, it's a little, di- well, it's a little different. No, it's a little different, the example, because we're dealing with Hermione Granger, who at the time Harry is telling her this, has a time turner that she's okay. using to travel back and forth. So it's, 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 like, it's, it's totally impossible. Like, like a better example, what if Danielle came back and said, Ryan, I gotta tell you something, for the past, you know, five years I've been working for as an undercover CIA agent and, you know, and she goes on like that. And like, you might go, wait, what? And, and you'd, you'd ask her, like, wait, what? Can you explain, wait, what do you mean? What, what are you talking? And that doesn't mean you... No, I take your point, and it's a good point, but in fairness, though, because I don't want to get too wildly off base here, in fairness, though, um, in this universe, time travel via time turners is incredibly possible. Hermione herself has done it. The other types of time travel are plausible. They may be unlikely, but they're plausible. So I think your example about the CIA agent is, is, is plausible. So it's, it's better than the time travel one in my case. The difference I just want to say, and just to go back to the original point on this, everything in this story is about degrees, degrees of loyalty, degrees of trust. When you look at Harry himself, when you look at, you know, Harry in his public image, there are characters in the story who trust him without cause. They have faith in him. I mean, faith is believing in something you can't prove. They can't prove that... Faith even good in this context. I mean, is it is it good to necessarily believe in something just because you have this sort of blind faith? I mean... It, it could be. I mean, there's characters who have faith in... There's characters who have faith in Harry. They have faith in Harry. They, they, you know, Tonks and the others, they, they, they just believe that without being shown the pensive, because the pensive is, is perfect proof. There's characters who have faith in him before they see it. And granted, in many cases, like with Sirius and Remus, he shows them first, but with other characters, he doesn't. So there's characters who have faith in him. There's characters who want to have it proven to them. And there's characters who just, I think the Weasleys are probably the case of this. They they don't even think of it. They 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 know what they know, and no one's telling them differently. And when it's literally shoved down their throats, or they have a change of heart, then they acknowledge it. But I think those are the three stages. And I'm not saying that Hermione's out of line. I'm not saying that she's evil. I'm not saying that you know what? If Danielle told me she was a CIA agent and it made sense to me, like I could see, well, there was that time when you know but you, you have, made us fly to Mexico. Okay, I'll tell you the thinking. sense first, though. I think what I'm thinking yeah, with I'm, is it's tone that it's like it's a continuum where you have like negative five where it's a Weasleys where they completely don't want to accept it and negative two where it's Hermione and she's not really accepting it and then you know where it's perfect where they have faith in him and I think it's sort of I don't think it's necessarily negative that her, what's Hermione is I think that what I'm taking issue with is kind of like just the way it's sort of like Hermione isn't somehow is good I know this is a horrible adjective to use is it as faithful as it is loyal isn't as strong is Lunar Neville because she doesn't accept it just on face. And I think it's just personality, honestly. I think yeah. that Luna yeah. and Neville are people who are like, okay, 
I trust you, whatever you want. I mean, like, that's just who they are. And I think that, the, I mean, like, I'm coming at this from a person who is very, I question a lot of things. I don't generally take a lot of things on faith, whether that's good or bad. And I think that it's not a negative aspect. I think it's just it's qualitative. You know, it's not like they're on a continuum. I think it's just different personalities and different ways of looking at life. And I don't think... I think the important thing to do, though, is just to... Not to make judgments on it, but just acknowledge the differences. So to acknowledge the differences, look at the character of Percy. Percy in this one is told that Harry is an evil bastard. And he's like, well, you know, if he touched my sister, then I'm very angry at him. But if you stop to think about it, he did save me from that curse. I wonder if it's possible he's good. And even just on his own, he comes up with that. Whereas Hermione, by contrast... Even though she could sit there and be like, huh, you know what, that does kind of make sense. You have always seemed, you know, older for your year. Instead of sitting there and making a list and deciding for herself whether it was plausible or whether she believed it, she directly states, I won't believe it until you show me proof. So I just think it's important to show the difference between the two characters. You can make whatever, you know, rationalizations you want or say it's personality, but I think it's important to note that there is a full spectrum of characters in this, from those who blindly believe to those who blindly believe based on evidence to those who require evidence to those who do who make their own decisions based on the evidence. There are characters that have blind faith in Harry, and there are characters who have blind loyalty in Harry. Harry wasn't going to show anyone this until they chose. So Hermione had seemed to choose Harry before that, but then when this came out, she wanted that proof too, that the same thing that they're not willing to give the Weasleys. She, I think there's a difference I don't think, between well, faith and love and loyalty. I think, yeah, I mean, I think she mentioned yeah. it too. The Weasleys don't have faith in Harry, and maybe Hermione's not willing to take something Harry says on faith, but Hermione has trust in Harry, and she has love yeah. in Harry. I think she has yes. that in that scene, and I would argue you could make an argument that she has more trust and more love in Harry than, for instance, Luna does. I think that, I mean, I think that it's almost like, because I think she knows that she can be a much stronger ally to Harry if she believes this completely. I mean, it's, I mean, I don't want to bring up this example too elaborate too much, but I mean, it's just sort of, I mean, it's, it's um, not, kind of like in a religious context. You can say that you believe something, but there's sort of a switch that has to click for you to actually believe something. You know what I mean? You can't force yourself to believe something if you don't yeah. have the qualifications that your mentality requires to... But I don't think she's true. thinking that far ahead. I don't you're you're confusing that. her belief in the story with her trust and love for Harry is the problem. Like, those two don't necessarily have to correlate. What I'd say, though, is I'd say that Hermione probably wants to believe in Harry, but she won't until she has the proof. I don't think the Weasleys want to believe in Harry, but if they were shown proof, they would, you know, grudgingly change their minds. And I think that's the difference between the two. I think... I think that's why I think Harry would have shown he he brought Hermione there to show her, so he was going to show her one way or another. Whereas with the Weasleys, they have made up their minds on him. They you know no debate. And I think when people already shut down and make up their minds, I think Harry's response to that is why bother with them. And I think on some level, because the people he lost in the other world were so dear to him, he would even say, "Why should I even bother?" Why should I, I'm not going to replace, you know, the, the, the Weasleys I loved with these, you know, cheap imitations who are not the Weasleys I loved. And I think there is this urge to just, you know, cut the line and cut the cord and say, okay, I'm not going there. 
if they ever come around, they'll come around, but I'm not handing it to them. It, I think it's definitely, as we get to the end tonight, I think it's definitely, it's, it's, it's a very well written story. I think the biggest disappointment for me would have been if she had written, if Ella had written the story and didn't address these issues, the issues of, are these the same Weasleys? Issues of, did the people he loved really die? Issues of disappointment versus mistakes made versus fault. I think, if this were a Star Trek episode, it'd be a really good one because I think there's those sorts of issues in the storyline. I think she addresses most of them, at least so far. I think she's making the best of a plot that, that gives her a lot of material to work with. There were some characters that didn't really work as well for me. I think the character of Hermione and her relationship with Ron was just kind of... I did it, like... It, was, with- it wasn't... I, with Hermione, I liked how they worried after they had told her about how it was going to affect her insecurities about not being the smartest one, since they're obviously already did know all these spells. I did like how how they were very cautious about that. Yeah, and on some level, she was still smart. With I know, many which is so funny. They're like, oh, they're like, oh, never mind. Um, we thought we'd have to like handhold her. Apparently, we still need her help. <laughs> you know, that was. I think there was there was a lot more um, story there that I don't think has been taken advantage of yet. I think the whole thing with, okay, you, you told Hermione at 13 that, you know, she died and they came back for her. So does that encourage her into a relationship with Ron that maybe she didn't naturally get to on her own? I just felt like that was kind of slapped together. Oh, okay. They're together now. <laughs> and uh, I, I just think that particular plot wasn't handled as well as some others were, but I think by and large, I'm really enjoying where the story's going. I think the angst is great. I think the storyline is, is, it's fast paced. It, 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 you don't get bogged down reliving the same events. I think she's changing canon enough and I think she's respecting the universe. The universe has rules. I'm just, I'm really happy with the story and I can't wait to read even more than I've already read. So it's my piece. Yeah. I really am enjoying this so far. I mean, yeah, I kind of said this a little bit on the last episode, so I'll make it pretty brief, but I'm really enjoying where it's going. Hopefully I'll have the time to finish it sometime, you know, in the next century, but I'm really liking where it's going and I'm, really excited to see where it's going to be headed because I kind of have some hints that everyone's sort of bursting to tell me that's so good. So that kind of makes me really want to. I wonder what these people are talking about too. Everyone's yeah, laughing over here. And I'm like, Whoa. yeah, PS and I had a little side conversation going on before. Cause I had, I had to finally stop biting my finger with some of the stuff that you guys are going that I so wanted to jump in on, but I was like, no, yeah. don't do it. Don't do it. I want to know how the kid I almost killed at my prom party comes into this. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be the garden gnome um, of this episode, Ryan. This is true. Melinda, how about you? I ended up, I was really surprised because I, I've told you all before, I, I don't usually care for AUs, but I don't con- completely consider this one AU anyway because it, it takes, it uses canon. It just goes in another direction and looks at how things could, if they're just slightly altered, another way things could have happened. I really ended up enjoying the story very much. So it's not AU, it's just canon shown through an alternative. <laughs> Melinda is trying to hedge her bets here. Yeah. But no, <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's, it's still canon-based. I mean, it, the whole canon happened, except that the ending was different, obviously, with more people dying. But <laughs> but then it goes back and redoes it all. That's what AU is called. Melinda is like the person who says we don't torture, we just use enhanced interrogation techniques. <laughs> Melinda, it still you like based an on AU all the regular all the regular stuff still did happen. Then they just went back and did it all You're again. You're in denial. In you a different like universe. 
it's an alternate universe. Melinda Lee are just in the ate the cake. Come on. You, you tried it you and you liked it. Just, yeah, everything happened. I, 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 I enjoyed this story very much. I actually have even went ahead and read the sequel. Really? This AU story you enjoyed. You enjoyed the AU story. Sequel's definitely very AU. You just totally said the right you enjoyed, you enjoyed right. the AU story. You're like, I enjoyed the sequel. I just love that. It's not an AU story. It's canon-based, but just different things happen with it. In, the <laughs> in a different universe. With time travel. It all happened, too. It's it's not exactly AU. I wouldn't put it that way, no. <laughs> well. All right. I, I, too, liked the part in canon where Harry Potter was deemed to serve a life prison in Azkaban. I, I, too, liked the part in canon where Harry Potter, you know, it, never mind. Gonna go somewhere with yeah. that and Ginny, but I'm gonna leave that there. I think <laughs> I'm so tired. Yeah, I like the part where the Weasleys throw Harry out of the burrow cannon. I cry every time I read that. Um, P.S., what did you think? Um, I think that this fic is really great. It's re- I'm, I'm like Melinda. It's so hard for me not to spoil. I read this whole thing probably from like somewhere at the beginning of year two in one sitting, and I never read fics in one sitting. Like, I think this might be the only one. It's really long. Like, did you take a bathroom break? Like, I, like, I feel bad. I pulled an all-nighter, and it was the night before I had my wisdom teeth out. Well about- done, Ella. Mike, how about you? I re- also really, really liked it. It's, uh, I'm only on chapter 26, but it's it's up there. On my, it's already in my top 20, and I have a feeling it'll probably finish in my top 10. This is top <laughs> five. Easy. Top five. Top five. Easy. Okay. I just like reading numbers. Well, I, I have a feeling when I finish, it's going to be in the top 10 for sure somewhere. It's much better than the one I read with Harry discovering the power of love. Uh-huh. Is that the one where you went on the whole monologue about that I just cut from the podcast? <laughs> yeah. That would be canon. Can I tell you, in the one with the power of love, fun fact, Voldemort was actually an alien that inhabited the body of Tom Riddle. When was Voldemort like, was expunged, Was it like Venom from Spider-Man? Like the, um... Tom Riddle wasn't actually that bad. Here I thought you were actually referencing canon, since Tower of Love kind of played their role in canon. Well, here's a pop. No, I'm talking like if you Care Bear stare someone, you can get hit with the Avada Kedavra curse and absorb it. How do you think the human... And Harry discovers it in Chapter 3. It's a 90 chapter story. It's just like the whole, like, when Order of the Phoenix came out, everyone was talking about the love room and was like, what's love room and people were like, is it the camera it's like stare? The like, bit. <laughs> I can just imagine like like all the Harry and Ginny and Ron and Hermione like lining up to fight Voldemort in the final battle and they do a Care Bear stare. <laughs> well, it's like too when you get to uh, Final Reckoning, Harry and Voldemort fight in the um, in the love room and you look at it and you're like, it's filled with blood. <laughs> I like always expect when they went in there to be like what? just like wow 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 like <laughs> like like, <laughs> like a heart shaped bed in like one of these like a room in one of those sleazy love hotels. <laughs> I hope I'm not spoiling this for Mike or Cody, but there's actually a joke in one of the future chapters where they theorize that the reason Voldemort is so pissed off all the time because Harry makes a joke <laughs> that thank God Voldemort doesn't have sex or else Harry would feel it through the scar and that would just skeeve him out. And Ron's like, you know what? I think I just realized I think Voldemort is a virgin and that's why he's so pissed off all the time. <laughs> Ryan, like do you think right, so, Adelstar yeah. Galactica would have turned out differently if Voldemort and the Death Eaters were in charge of the ship? But they still they, had, they still controlled the humans, like Perius who knew how to, rot, to like, drive the ship so they're not going to like crash into a star, but Voldemort and the Death Eaters are in charge of the whole show. What have you been? I think he would. What? I think they would have been helpful in last week's episode. I think we could have used some Death Eaters. Voldemort on Battlestar Galactica now. 
You have one hour. Shut it up your ass. They've got a guy with one leg right now running the whole show over there, so it's not going too well. So with that, we'll be back next week. We will find out if Mike wins the Genius of the Week Award or the 2009 Pansy is a Garthenome Award. Uh, Melinda Leo will stop biting her fingernails by next week, (laughs) and we will find out, apparently, what happens with just about everybody. And I am going to go back to read right now, so have a good night, everybody. Good night. So hold on to the wonder that those books brought to our lives. Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night. Hey everyone, this is Lostwin from the forums. Um, I'm a little bit stuffed up right now, I don't know if you could tell, but I wanted to comment on Backward with Purpose because this is one of my absolute favorite fan fictions. I absolutely adore it. I love everything about it. Okay, that's not true. There are some things I didn't like. But, I mean, these chapters were some of my absolute favorites in the bunch. I love the interlude between Ron and Sirius when Harry was kicked out of the burrow and why he was kicked out of the burrow. I thought that was really good. And then I loved what Remus said when he came out of the pensive. Something about his shoes. I don't have it right in front of me. This is a line from chapter 19, and it just cracks me up. Harry nodded. It was just the same as before. Wormtail had found Voldemort, and now they're both back and plotting to kill me. Is it weird that I'm happy about that? And I don't know why, but that just... It's so funny, out of such a serious chapter, and I mean, pretty much all these chapters are kind of serious, um, but I just love that... That's, it's very humorous. I like that. And then there's another line, too. Um, this is from the Quidditch World Cup when they're in the top box. And, you know, Sirius and Harry, they're provoking Narcissa and Draco. And it's just, it's so, I just, I love this. My aunt and uncle, Sirius said very slowly as though speaking to a rather stupid child. Harry suppressed the urge to cheer. We're your grandmother and grandfather, which generally means that your mother and I are cousins. Speaking of family, Sirius added cheerfully to Narcissa, who appeared as though she were carved from a piece of wood. Andromeda, remember her, your sister, is doing very well. Her husband is a pretty great guy. I'm afraid I can't say anything like that of Bella, though. This man has made her even more insane. And I think we all used to be one big, happy black family. Too much inbreeding, Harry said sadly, unable to resist. And I just <laughs> I love that exchange right there. Um, It's very in character, too. I mean, if you look at the canon, Harry, he does have a lot of witty lines. And I don't think he'd be able to pass up something like that. I know I certainly wouldn't. Um, And then I also love the next chapter, chapter 20, um, which is when... They, uh, and by they I mean Ron, Ginny, and Harry, they tell Luna and Hermione and Neville, of course, Luna already knew, like, they had gone back in time and everything, but they told Hermione and Neville, and I just, I love this small exchange between Hermione and Neville, because I just, I love their friendship in this. I didn't always want it that in the canon, and it never happened. Hermione, Neville said suddenly, I think they're telling the truth. Look, it explains everything. How they knew about the Basilisk, why they were so hacked off at Lockhart, and why they were so insistent that we trained. Just a 
say you thought they were seers, Hermione said. You didn't think it could be explained any other way. You've changed your mind awfully quickly. Which, you know, I think that's, it's true. I mean, Neville did think that they were seers, and then and he was presented with the truth. And, of course, it's the truth, so I'd hoped that he would believe it. But it was a rather quick change. Also, there was something else from Chapter 21. Um, it's just a very, it's just a small line. It's very throwaway. But I can I can completely, I guess, relate to this because this is exactly how I feel about math class. Um, Termini talking and she says, Besides, you should have dropped divination like I did. What a useless class. No, I think that divination, it is pretty useless. It means you can't be taught to be a seer. It's just like, I've always been interested in astrology and numerology, and the thing is you can't really teach that because it's just, it's pretty much all guesswork. And even if it's not guesswork, it still has a basis on luck and chance, and there's no really basis in fact, so I can see what she means by that. And also, I just, I hate math class, I really do, so I can completely relate to that. And then, so, I just, there's a bunch of stuff I loved about these chapters, and a bunch of stuff that I really didn't, I suppose. This was the chapter with the second task, and it's between, um, Ron and Tonks, and that Ron almost calls her by name, and then she just says, er, watch her ginger, do I know you? And that just seems so in character for Tonks, because it's so hard to get Tonks out of character. But it just, it made me just burst into laughter. Of course, the next couple of chapters, I liked the 23, um, and how it sort of deviated from canon in that Harry, he, Cedric didn't die, obviously, and he put Harry, Harry put Cedric under the Imperious Curse, which is really, I mean, that's an unforgivable for a reason, so for him to do that and for, to not obliviate Cedric, um, obviously it was for his own good, but he's in big trouble now, and I just, I love these chapters. Um, also I like the interlude in Albus Dumbledore's perspective, um, because there's so many things that you kind of want to know, and I think there aren't other perspectives that you could have given to this, because Dumbledore, he has so much power, and he has so much influence, that's the thing. So whatever, pretty much, and I know this is in canon a lot, but a lot of what he says carries a lot of weight. So for him to pretend to be mad at Harry and to believe that Harry's like this horrible person, you know, I just, that was different. You know, I like that. And then I also, I love that, that any words were always and always. And it was Harry saying that his mom told her that, you know, she was proud of him because I just, I always thought that was just perfect, and I'm glad they kept that, and I'm glad it was such a sweet moment, you know? And this is, okay, so this is going on in an eight-minute voicemail, um, so I'm going to cut it off, even though I have so much more to say. Alright, bye guys.